now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. This podcast is sponsored by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash GOT to start your free 30-day trial. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 9, titled Battle of the Bastards. Uh, I feel like this is a big one that everybody's been waiting for, for a while. Seems like it. I noticed that it's the... Someone someone mentioned on um, one of the Reddit subreddits today, that's the only... There's only one other uh, Game of Thrones episode. I'm struggling to get my point out. One other Game of Thrones episode with the perfect 10 rating on IMDb. Uh, the other being, I think, Hard Home. Okay. Um, hmm. Yeah. But that, I mean, you know, that obviously it's been like, what, 48 hours, so that still might settle in. Sure. But it definitely feels like, I th- I feel like there's been more memorable episodes because I guess I, I just wasn't sure what was going to happen in them. Hmm. Okay. Um, or they had like a little bit more twistier events and writing. This was much more straightforward, but yeah. the spectacle... Right. The spectacle, which has gradually and slowly been ramping up in Game of Thrones, is just incredible. And like I, I said in the instant cast, Miguel Sapochnik just mm-hmm. really went for broke on the epic visuals and had you know elicited a physical response from me in several points in the episode. Right. Yeah, I think it. Uh, for my money, it's probably the best battle sequence they've filmed. I mean, Hardhome, don't get me wrong, is amazing. Yeah. But this felt more... I guess real to me, like there was nowhere for them to retreat. They, this was kind of like a final stand here, as opposed to like a surprise attack. It felt very epic to me. Yeah, um, and you get two battles for the price of one. You do. Yeah, I mean, let's not ignore the dragon battle. The the masters at sea there. Sure. Uh, Danny puts the smackdown on them. It's yeah, from top to bottom, it is just spectacle. Like you said, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing. And I thought that some of the making of, if you had time to watch it, was kind of interesting because a lot less reliance on CG for some of this stuff. Like, that was actually Kit Harrington staring down the barrel of 50 horses coming at him. And yeah. they did a lot of really careful stunt work that they didn't composite it into, like, a layered scenes to, to pull it all off. But there's a lot of just, like, near misses and whatnot that are that kind of scripted in there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. A lot of CGI. Um, oh, tons. Spoiler, yeah. dragons aren't real. <laughs> but, but yeah, they, they it, it's pretty seamless, too. Like I, They I, are really cool. Alan Sebewals was said that he thought the dragons busting out of the wall looked particularly fake. Why? Like, I don't know. It was he, such a far shot. Like Yeah. I, I thought it was How a, could you even see? Right. I thought it was an odd choice to make a complaint about, too. because But he it mentioned is. that it was so bad that he was assuming that it was, like, um, not-quite-finished effects on his screener copy. I mean, it was dusty. They were breaking through a, a 
wall made of dirt, essentially. You know what I've noticed Sand. sometimes <laughs> is when I'm watching, like on my DVR, uh-huh. uh, my DVR does something weird to the high def compression, where sometimes it, make, it makes artifacts that don't really appear. Where yeah. if I'm watching later on uh, HBO uh, uh, HBO Go, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a lot cleaner. So I don't know whether you know he was watching a, a digital copy or what. I, I, who knows. <laughs> Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. All new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Boogaloo as they continue their discussion of George R.R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. Find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. I don't know. I didn't feel that way uh, really about any of the effects. I thought all of the effects were top notch. Yeah. Even, you know, some stuff we had complained about last season with Danny and her dragon. Uh, she hops on that dragon this time. Looks real. Looks good. And Drogon is huge. I'm going to give the mount a B. Because okay. I still feel like there's a more dynamic way. Because this time... They covered it up a little bit. I, yeah. Like, I feel like the way he kind of wrapped his wings around her protectively and then she dis- ascended his wing like a spiral staircase was very stately. And, like, it, it fit the moment. Okay. But I kind of want to see a warrior princess, Xenia, hop on. Yeah, just, just yeah. like, yeah, hop on. I, and I get it. There's, like, bus spines and shit. Right, not something, not something you just want to hop on. Yeah, but it is. There's something a little bit still gingerly about the the hopping on performance that uh, maybe a saddle could uh, assuage or yeah, something. yeah. If she had a saddle, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they have to inspire to greater heights. I think that this okay. is uh, the third attempt now at uh, well, the second. She, could she get like a see. lift? Could Grey Worm just kind of there here, you put, go? Put your foot in my hand. Sure. I'm sure. going to really flip you up there. Yeah, a triple gainer. Yeah. Uh, but, but so, I mean, yeah, something to just um, get, make it a little bit more dynamic and less like she is. But maybe that's what they're going for. Like, this is how a human being would actually scale yeah. a dragon. It's covered with spines and Seems right to me. Whatnot. Yeah, maybe I'm just, uh, I don't know. In my mind, it always looked more dynamic. Okay. <laughs> but that's pretty sure. fucking faint praise, or uh, dam- damning it with faint praise. Um, it is. I mean, it looked so much better than the rubber Drogon from last season when, when she crawled on that. And and Drogon last season was tiny compared to what he, he is really now. He really has gotten gotten swole. Uh, four, like three, four times as big as he was back then? Sure. I mean, he's at least twice the size of the other dragons. Yeah, he's enormous. So, I, I don't know. It was all very impressive to me, top yeah. to bottom. Uh do we have anything we want to talk about before we get into the recap? I, I just want to acknowledge that there is a small but vocal minority who just don't like this episode. Um, don't like this episode in because what Because there is, I mean, there is a lot of stuff that just doesn't fucking make sense. Like, John's strategy is especially frustrating. And Oh, sure, yeah. I call that not talk- Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think that we you and i caught, were caught up in the spectacle and we liked the episode so much that maybe we're not giving that enough attention because those are the bones the episodes hung on right sure yeah like if they are if those bones are calcium deficient and they crumble then no matter how awesome the rest is it, it can't I mean i my, my thing about it though is i don't think it's out of character for john to go charging in i just wish he wasn't so dumb like it just it doesn't sit well with me, but not because it's bad writing. I just I don't like that John is doing this thing. 
it it I don't know. I like I said I'm I'm not prepared to call it bad writing. And again, I really like this episode, but the more I watched it, the more that him just had like mm-hmm. r- one man hundreds of yards away from yeah. the rest of his battle lines charging this force. It's stupid. It's real stupid. Yeah. Of him. Yeah. He's angry. I mean, Ramsey did exactly what Sansa said he was going to do, which is piss off John and take advantage well, of Well, there's angry in, like, you punch someone in the face when they taunt you. And then there's angry that you charge for hundreds and hundreds of yards towards, like, at no point do you reconsider yeah. and be like, oh, it's this impotent is fucking rage. stupid. At best. Yeah, that, that's maintained for longer than what is probably seemly if you have second thoughts and the fact that this is really fucking your men. and Right. I mean, I, it it calls into question what kind of le- – here's the thing. It calls into question what kind of leader we're going to get from John. Absolutely. Uh, just like, you know, we've we've had plenty of the question about Danny. Yeah. Um, it, Still it's, do. Right, right. Yeah, so, I, I don't. I think they're paralleling those two characters yeah, pretty well here. Yeah, uh, one of them is is dumb and blinded by, you know, a certain nobility and mm-hmm. also uh, rage in those scenes. And Danny is potentially following the footsteps of her father. You know, uh, the Mad King's her father, right? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to be sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, like, I think the parallels there are good, and in this episode, it makes a lot of sense to have them both kind of making big mistakes and you know john is is getting some good advice from sansa but not taking it and danny's doing the opposite she's taking the good advice that Tyrion's giving her boy i don't know if i want to if i want to boil down that scene between john and sansa as giving good advice and not taking it right Uh, i mean that that's definitely that is boiling it down we'll talk we'll talk yeah i guess that's what's ultimately happened but there's a lot more to to say at that i I guess that's uh, not heeding the warning i guess would be sure a better i guess that's what um i i I guess that i don't have anything uh else to say before we get right into the episode so before we get into the recap proper, I wanted to tell people about a quick uh, promotion we're doing, the giveaway um, for a lot of different factory entertainment uh, produced Game of Thrones goods. Um, they have a whole bunch of stuff they're giving away. It's really easy to sign up. You can go right now to factoryent.baldmove.com and you can uh, just sign up with the form there uh, to win one of these fabulous prizes. Uh, Direwolf Cub Plush Set. They have a couple of those um, with each of the sets have three direwolves in them. And uh, they're also giving away with with those two uh, sets, a ghost plush and a three-eyed raven plush. And these things are really cool. We've got some in the studio here and we checked them out. Uh, we have a mailbag video on the website if you want to see those things. Um, they're also giving away a red keep relief sculpture, which is this, uh, as I said last time, belt buckle sized uh, metal... I don't know. If you don't know what a relief is, I don't know how to really yeah. describe it. It has a design of the red keep on it, and it's metal. Yeah. And you know what those it's are. Like, it's like etched out of a solid subject. Subs- it's, right. Yeah. And then they also have another couple of really cool items, the Winterfell desktop sculpture. Super which, cool. Yeah, it's a scale model of Winterfell, and it's screen accurate. It's it's really beautiful. Uh, they also have the Royal I'm gonna, Crown. I'm going gonna, gonna to hang mini direwolf flags off every parapet after <laughs> nice. we get done at the podcast because they better fucking have it done by Sunday night. Uh, they also have the royal crown of Brathian and Lannister prop replica, which is uh, a prop that uh, a replica that they have cast in metal 
directly from the prop that they use for Tommen's crown for the Baratheon Lannister crown on the show. And it's really cool. It's got uh, gems and a gold coating. It's nice. Uh, they're also giving away a bunch of house sigil throw pillows and uh, George R. R. Martin talking plush, which Ooh. we got here, got in here in the studio. And, you know, aside from maybe, maybe trimming him down just a little bit, they didn't make him. He's not life size, but that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be nice either. Where would you put him? Uh, so they've trimmed him down a little bit, but it's pretty cool. Uh, so they have all those things you can win. They also gave us a promotional code for fifteen percent off, fifteen percent off uh, all the Game of Thrones merchandise. That code is Drogon. Uh, you can go to their website, factoryent.baldmove.com, and check it out. Uh, the only things you can't use that on are the crown prop replica and any of the San Diego Comic Con stuff. I want to see what George thinks about this promotion. Okay, so Pre- pretty grim shit. I, I, you know what we say to savings, big savings, and promo codes, Martin? Hell yeah, today. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, so if you're interested in any of that, go to factoryent.baldmove.com and check it out. Uh, one other thing, uh, while I got your attention, is I want to bring um, attention, I'd say the word attention one more yeah. time, to Rocket City NerdCon, which we are going to be headlining down in Huntsville, Alabama, October 22nd and 23rd with a special. They just added a, a kickoff party at Yellow Hammer Brewing Company on the Friday oh. preceding at 7 p.m. I bet I will be there with a beer in hand. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. You can get tickets. Day passes are 15 bucks. Uh, NerdCon weekend passes are $25. We just submitted a whole bunch of ideas for panels and fun games and stuff. Uh, I cannot wait to get like word on whether they get officially approved or not. But we're going to be hosting a couple of panels and hanging out, and we'll have our own booth. Uh, I just got approval to bring our giant Matt Damon face down. <laughs> if you did, if you're not aware, we watched, uh, we did a, a movie review of The Martian, and we at, we pulled some strings, and we got one of those massive banners of Matt Damon's giant face, and Jim's got it hung behind him in the studio. So we're going to bring that down as our booth backdrop. Get a picture of the giant Matt Damon face if you want. Come mm-hmm. see. It's like the lar- world's largest ball of twine. It's the world's largest Damon face. <laughs> and we've got it exclusively at the Rocket City Nerd Gun. Uh, come on down there, October 22nd and 23rd. Let's start off with the Masters still attacking Marine. It's now daylight. I I don't know how that works. I mean, I guess, you know, they're just out there. Like they just landed on the beach and started slaughtering people. Uh, they've still been, you know, sending this pitch over the walls and uh-huh. blowing shit up. Uh, Danny's angry at Tyrion about how things have gone, but he defends himself by saying, hey, slavers are nasty um, because they don't want to be proven useless. So mm-hmm. that's why this is all happening. There's nothing I could do. Uh, she tells Tyrion that she's going to kill every single one of them, but Tyrion advises against it instead, telling the story about why Jamie killed her father. Uh, and she another significant mention of the wildfire caches buried beneath King's Landing. Yep, yep. Interesting. Is, there's much more to this rumor, I'm sure. Not even mildly so. It's just nakedly interesting now. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know there's this line from Danny where she says this is entirely different. Like I'm freeing slaves and I'm I'm doing what I consider a good thing here. And Tyrion points out, no, it's not entirely different. We're talking about righteous retribution here versus a mad king destroying a city, but they have definitely similar outcomes. Like, the people aren't going to necessarily see it the exact same way you do, and you need to be a little bit more careful about how you're you're conducting yourself here. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole hearts and minds. Like, you can't... Yeah. Um, 
Which we've seen Danny falter in many times. Well, and even in our, you know, our own history, we've seen where you can win a victory and it's so punitive that it just creates another generation of people that resent you and you end up having the thing flare up again. Yeah. um, Versus sometimes conflicts that just never, ever go away because it's just one side or the other beating the kicking, kicking the shit out of each other. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Tyrion, Tyrion is wise here. You, you want to definitely win and you want to cripple their ability to fight, but you don't want to just crush them beneath their heel. Yeah. And it's interesting because Tyrion is both has made a huge mistake, right? He thought he had the slavers, at bay and instead they're in the bay and they're yeah. fucking shit up uh i don't I, but I, he's also correct sure. about his the methods i don't think he made a mistake i think he played it just right you think he was literally just stalling for time well i think that if he hadn't brokered a deal the sons of harpies would have been running rampant through the city for the entire time so there wouldn't have right. been any stability and, and honestly the, the city probably would have shook itself apart from the inside yeah. this at least marine was able to meet them as a united front mm-hmm. so and you know danny coming back saved the day so it did. i hate to say that Tyrion's plan sucks just because of something that was time you know that timed beyond his control and again he wouldn't have had that much time to work with had he not made the deal so sure. i think okay. it was uh a, a smart plan and now he can say with a clean conscience we had a deal, you violated it, so you're going to be punished for that. So is this like playing tic-tac-toe against Whopper? Like, there is no way to win. <laughs> the only way to win is not to play. The I only mean... way to win is to have your magical dragon queen come back with her dragons yeah. at just the right time. Right. Uh, so then Danny and Tyrion meet with the the leaders of the, the slavers here, the masters, to negotiate their surrender. They, of course, scoff in her face, but then Drogon shows up, and Danny rides him out to sea, they meet with the other dragons and burn one of the boats, just as kind of a, a display of power here. Fuck this boat in particular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that boat really got the short end of the stick there. Uh-huh. Uh, Grey Worm kills two of the masters and sends the other one back to tell his people what happened. Yeah, some interesting other, like, there's some random sons of slaughter, or sons of harpies slaughtering some random civilians outside the gates of Marine. Yeah. Just so you could get the Dothraki and the second sons involved. That felt a little... Who got there surprisingly fast, I'd say. Yeah. Like, they were a week, you know, what I thought was going to be several days behind Mm -hmm. Danny because she's on a flying beast and she can take a straight line. They can't. Yeah, as the dragon flies versus as the horse meanders. I think that's the right. famous Essosian phrase. It is. <laughs> uh, so when they show up like 12 hours later, I was a little surprised by that. And I, you know, I don't want to harp on it too much. I don't really care. Uh, we knew they were going to show up eventually, and I think the dragons would have been enough. Well, that's honestly. the thing. I, I was wondering because I was starting to lick my lips, like, "Oh, when are the you know the dragons? Oh, God, now they're in formation. Ah, oh. yeah." And I was like, "Oh, who's the first target?" And um, as as she's flying over to Sons of Harpies, I'm like, "Ugh." They made it clear that they're fighting a bunch of people. Yeah. And are they going to make it so clear that, like, they've killed everyone, so only their harpies are left, so when Danny comes in and burning it, it won't be, like, collateral damage? Right. And as I was pondering that, then the Dothrak, and so, obviously, they can distinguish friend from foe, and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they can save the people left to save, whereas dra- Danny comes in a dragon fire, it's just fucking scorched earth. Right. So, right. I feel like, but now, the other thing is, I don't know why they need to stage that scene in the first place. 
Sure. I mean, if if you take out those boats and their backup, I think the Sons of the Harpy quiet down. Or at least, like, yeah, they might be still doing some undercover killing, sure. but the main thrust is stopped. And then when the Dothraki roll in a week later, we'll be good. Yeah, especially when you cripple the support of the Sons of Harpies, which it did seem like that those slave cities were pulling the strings. Like, I think that's conclusively proven now. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it, I thought it was a little a little weird. Yeah, and it I think it's also conclusively proven that the burning of those ships in the harbor was to eliminate the naval force that might have been able to repel them. Yeah, like, or put up any kind of fight. Sure, against them, this yeah. was like a preemptive strike to make way for their forces. Yep. So you know, it makes a lot more sense in hindsight. Yeah. So I mean, it we'll is all it is, it is also convenient that it reset everything back to where you needed to be to have her dependent on, yeah the 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 ships of uh, uh, the Greyjoys. But yeah, you know, seems a logical move. For sure, the slavers. Sure. Uh, I was also super impressed by just the the force of the fire from these dragons. I guess like the, the staying power. Right. Like. I, so I, it's it's created by some kind of thing in their glands Dude, that they can spray. No, I guess turn this way lies madness. You're right. gonna try to figure out their but, capacity. But no, and... we've seen we've seen like the glands in their mouths, and sure, we know sure. that that's where the fire comes from. Like right. I don't know what their capacity is. I don't know if they can do this all day or if they just well, that's what used I'm it all up for a display <laughs> of force. But uh, just like the sheer velocity of the fire was yeah. like. Like an explosion. Like, yeah. the fire hits your deck. It doesn't just set your deck on fire. It sends all your troops off the sure. boat. Yeah. Sends all, it breaks your ship in half. Like, yeah. it's impressive. Oh, it is. It's real impressive. I was just trying to wait off, like, because you can, there's just pretty straightforward calculation you could probably do here to determine how much calories of energy the dragons are putting out to, okay. to sustain this kind of fire. How many goats they I'm have fairly to eat. fucking certain there's not enough goats in the world to to sustain that kind of fire, right. let alone the fact the ones that have been chained up underground and haven't been able to just forge yeah. whenever. But Don't what, care. They're, they're, again, they're, they're magic. Right. Don't care. They're magic. They violate the laws of thermodynamics. There's thermodragonics, and <laughs> they don't follow the classical laws. All right, let's go over to John and Sansa. They meet with Ramsey before this battle, um, kind of just there on the battlefield. Wait, did you wanna, uh, what did you think? Be- before we move on, um, I, I got. I want to talk about how I thought Grey Worm is quietly badass with like this leadership thing where he addressed the troops on the other side, and yeah. then he did... Uh, I, I'm assuming Danny would approve of his calling an audible and killing the two Craven Masters rather than the one uh, Lowborn. I mean, why did yeah. they... they, they the, the, man, talking about your clash of cultures, these guys don't know how to read a room at all. No. Re- really nice. to throw this one guy uh, under the bus and say that he's lowborn and he's like, come on, Yeah, man. he doesn't speak for us. Well, then why should I kill him? Yeah. <laughs> like- super, super efficient um, Grey Worm doing the double throat slitting. Yeah. That followed up with the Picard Maneuver. That's was, leadership 101. You you do the Picard maneuver and everyone f- steps in line. It was real cool. And uh, then Tyrion being like super patronizing with the guy, putting his hand on his shoulder, and mm-hmm. now he's seeing eye to eye at the guy because he's on his knees. Pretty yep. good. Pretty good stuff. Okay, now we go to John and Sansa. They they meet with Ramsay on the battlefield here. Ramsay tells them to surrender. Uh, John says, "You know what? Let's settle this one on one." But Ramsay, of course, doesn't want to because there's a legend of his sword prowess. Uh, he proves that they have Rickon by throwing out Shaggy Dog's head when Sansa questions it. And then Sansa tells Ramsay, you're going to die tomorrow, and rides off. 
I think that's about you know Ramsey makes some threats about his dogs being hungry for balls and I, and I had roughly 47 messages off to. Uh, saying that this is a plot hole that Sansa wrote off before she heard the threat and then she throws it in his face in an episode it kind of is I mean it would be if it, like literally the next scene like five minutes later but I just feel like and, and I you know whether whether you do this or not is whether you think it's a plot hole. But I'm thinking that there's a full 24 hour period between this moment and the next. So like right. she's waiting back at camp and John rides back in. She's like, "Hey, did I miss anything?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, he was talking a bunch of shit about his dogs. Hasn't fed him in seven days. Har har har." Like, but done. it's such an inconsequential thing. It doesn't matter in the course of the battle. I don't know why John would mention it. Like mm-hmm. I, if I'm playing internet advocate here, right? Uh, nitpickers advocate. I I think. I, I don't know. I think it is a problem. I just don't care all well, that not, much. It, it's not mechanical because a group of people have the information. A person circulated with amongst a group of people that had the information. Yeah. And there's an amount of time we don't see. Yeah. So like it's, you can extrapolate. Maybe she heard it. Yeah. It, it's not like, uh, sh- you know, she came out riding a full suit of chain mail that no one had or any. I mean, it. Right. This is not Arya getting stabbed in the guts multiple times. Something we see on screen yes. happening. Yes. Uh, this is something that could have been resolved off screen, but we don't right. know if it was. Yep. That's fine. Uh, let's go over to John and his advisors planning the battle strategy, unless you have anything else on that I don't scene. think so. Okay. So John explains that he wanted to make Ramsey angry so that he'll charge in and he wants him coming full tilt. Uh, everyone... Oh, ho, ho, John! <laughs> I think you're reading from Ramsey's playbook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone leaves, and Sansa tells John that he should let her help, and he's like, "Okay, no, you're right." Uh, She tells him Ramsey isn't angry; he's just playing a game. Uh, Rickon's already dead. Like, write him off, and also not to do what Ramsey wants him to do, which John thinks that's the most obvious advice I've ever heard. (laughs) Maybe John's just dyslexic. What do you mean? She he heard that all the opposite of everything she said. Yeah, do what he wants you to Uh do. You know, he's not playing any games. He's not playing any games. He's not laying any traps. This is yeah. Uh, so there's a couple things here. Number one, they set up a lot about how Ramsey's forces will desert him, right? Because he's not willing to fight for them. Not yep. just in this scene. Not in ju- not in this scene where they're treating with him. Not just in this battle planning scene. Not, but also like during the battle where they showed a clear difference between Davos not willing to rain arrows on his own men and Ramsay more than willing to. Absolutely, John yeah. riding at the front of the vanguard, Ramsay staying in the rear. Mm-hmm. None of that pays off. Yeah. Well, I I think for good reason. I mean, I I don't want all of the foreshadowing to pay off, and they do this again with the like the rule of three, right? With the arrows and Rickon, huh. like they have him shoot. Two okay. arrows, kind of just fucking around. And they haven't really aimed that third one. Yeah. And it misses. And you're like, oh, did Rickon just get away? Did John mm-hmm. just win that little miniature battle there? Yeah. Then no, a fourth arrow comes in, defies your expectations. I think it's pretty good. I don't want everything to play out exactly like I thought it would. That's one way to look at it. I think another way is to say that it's unfortunate that to subvert our expectations, which are pretty much straightforward and in line with what happened in the episode, they felt like they had to throw in a couple canards. Okay. Because these unfortunately made it look like Davos and John and Sansa have no fucking clue what they're doing. Uh, and, yeah. And I, I feel like in a lot of ways they don't. 
You know, I, Davos has his shit more together. Davos seems like he's on it. Yeah, when he's not shitting himself. Um, well, I, <laughs> shitting yourself doesn't mean you're necessarily right. bad at battle or a coward. <laughs> you can still plan from a toilet. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like that Sansa had valuable things to contribute to this yeah. war council and just refused to. Right. And the no best mention expla- of Littlefinger. And the, and the best explanation I can give, the one that I actually am finding credence to, and which I'll read in the, spo- the, the feedback section, is the idea that Sansa, knowing that her brother was going to have the stupid Stark gene, mm-hmm. deliberately withheld this information so that it would be a surprise... Because because John would have fought the battle differently if he thought he had a bunch of men coming, right? But by keeping this force like a, a knowing only to herself, it's something that she could turn the tide of the battle. That Ramsay would fully commit his forces, and they would able to envelop and destroy him rather than oh shit, look, this is twice as ar- the the army showing up that I thought. Let's go back to Winterfell. Right now, you have to ignore Sansa's self admission here that she knows nothing about battle strategy yeah but Littlefinger uh, says a bunch of shit about not knowing anything and being a humble whore master and the, you know right but saying? is she lying to her brother like yes is she straight up lying to her brother I think she's using her brother I don't think she is I think she's afraid I, I think she's afraid of what John will say of what John will think of her and uh afraid that it's not going to go her way she has no clue whether Littlefinger is going to show up or not. If she says, hey, Littlefinger's on his fucking way, and then she gets everybody killed because they're planning for that contingency, I think she's really afraid of fucking everything up by doing that. Yeah, and she went behind John's back to to send a note in the first place. That was the other popular theory, that she just didn't know. So she wouldn't. But I I feel like it's still, if you just didn't know, it's kind of irresponsible to not... At least say, hey, I sent this letter. Because it's one thing to say, like, look, we asked everyone. Everyone said, no, we've got to go now because we could get bogged down in the snow. It's another to be like, hey, there's still one RSVP we haven't heard from, and we're here already. Yeah. Like, we're within sight of Winterfell. There's no fucking snow possible that's going to stop this battle from happening. And if we win it, then we have Winterfell, which can was designed to last really long winters. Yeah. So... I, I feel like the only thing that makes sense is uh, that Sansa's got a little bit of uh, Littlefinger plotting, that she is n- playing into Jon's tendencies as a warrior, which you got to you ask yourself how she would know those things. But Yeah, I, I think it's complex. I don't think it's just one thing um, that's driving Sansa here. I, I mean, I, th- I think it's both she's worried that it's not going to come through, and if she says something, he'll modify his plans. And also the I, fact that she says no one can protect me, which we talked in the instant cast, how that might be a veiled illusion to Arya. Mm-hmm. But also just take it on his face. It's like she doesn't trust John to get the job done. So she's going to keep right. a ace up her sleeve, which is very sure. little finger, and it's something that she might have learned from him. I, I kind of like those. It'll be interesting because... If John doesn't address this, like, what the fuck, Sansa? Yeah. Where, did, got, the, where did they come from? Yeah, I almost got everyone killed. Um, I, A little heads up would have been nice. That would I might have done things differently had I known this. Yeah, the, I, I hope they have some kind of honest discussion of what happened. Right, and there was so much of, like, you don't have enough men, we don't have enough troops, and... If Sansa thinks there's even a chance, yeah, he that shouts to her. More when will we have a larger force? And she says nothing. She That's says on nothing. her. I yes. mean, if if, yeah, yeah, I I'm not forgiving Sansa for not saying anything. I'm just because they could have played. If, if that wasn't deliberate, they could have played it like 
Sansa's being traumatized or she's afraid to speak about with all the and the men are shouting her down. There's a lot of ways they could have played that. Whereas this is like, you know, I felt John was like, hey, you got advice? I'm all ears. Right. Give it to me. He was in that tent, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, the other thing is John thinks he's a tough guy now. Mm. And he's not as tough as he thinks he is. He got bamboozled by Ramsay. He would have lost that battle if not for the Knights of the Vale. Well, and the other thing is, I think also John's a bit fatalistic. Um, I got the impression that he wouldn't mind. <laughs> as not. much as a man who's been killed and resurrected is, yes, I, I think he has reason to be. No, but like I thought it was interesting how he told Melisandre in this next scene, mm-hmm. uh, if I lose, don't bring me back. Like, he doesn't... So some of this isn't just do- dumb John, but it might be like, well, my the last male heir of my family is dead. Yeah. So what? Who gives a shit now? Right. If I'm like, if I'm one of John's men in that army, mm-hmm. I might be thinking twice about following a guy who's just going to get resurrected if he dies into yeah. battle. But me, <laughs> like, right? Yeah, Lord of Light doesn't give a shit about me. <laughs> yeah, what's my purpose here? Uh, it, it was also funny to see Tormund knows literally nothing about battle strategy. Like yeah. they don't, they don't fight that way. No, they just fight with rage and and ferocity well there's a reason why the the pitiful force of the night's watch has been able to keep them at bay for right. many years like they're just terrible yeah like uh they don't even understand a double envelopment like do you understand the word envelopment do you understand <laughs> a double it just fucking happened to you two seasons yeah. ago it decimated you fine they can't attack us from the sides yes oh okay i get that oh, like good yeah. <laughs> um i did yeah, a little bit for comic effect, I felt like they went a bit too far to make Tormund look stupid, a especially little. when he didn't get understand like demons whispering in a skull. I mean, or that that, right. that might be illustrative of the fact that wildlings are ready readily believe that shit. Yeah, I don't know, but to me, as a person who, um, I feel like the wildlings are ignorant but not stupid. Like uh. I feel like the only the only non racist and, and and culturist way to read them. Here it seems like yeah, yeah, Tormund at least might be a little dumb. Maybe, maybe. And to be fair, he didn't really want this position of leadership. He just kind of got thrust into it. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that soul scene. Davos and Tormund are walking and talking about their beloved dead leaders and how they were kind of wrong to believe in kings, which thankfully John is not. Uh, Davos says, uh, Tormund actually invites Davos for a drink. He says, no, nah, I'm going to go shit instead. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go into the woods and shit than to have a drink. You know, it'll you. make you shit drinking a jug of sour goat's milk. Clean you right out. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot stronger than he's used to, apparently. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, d- do you even know what it's like out there? N- no, n- not really been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne in the cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are too. We're preparing to once again recommission the watching dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC. 
and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows, maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain. Featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sonata from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Uh, so yeah, there is that souls thing. And I, I don't know. I mean, how do these guys feel about John? It seems like they're on board, even though he's set up to be a king of sorts. It's not like he's not a king. Wait, what is spirit. he a king of? I mean, he's going to be he's their leader, but man's called himself the king beyond the wall. And Stannis was the right. king, rightful king. I mean, none of them were actually the king at that point. So what's the effective difference between John and them? Uh... He's know. doing it for is different reasons. King? Yeah, I, I, I just felt like it was kind of like them broing out about like, hey, how about our man now though? You know, right? You know who's not a king? Our guy. Our king. Our guy's a bastard. Doesn't uh, even have any. Uh, doesn't even have any titles. Yep. So then, not a king. John goes to see Melisandre <laughs> to tell her not to bring him back, and she says, "You know what? I'm going to do it anyway." Lord of the Light wants me to. Uh, he's got a purpose for you, and that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, John. Yeah. Uh, and it's really clear, you know, he's alive here by the grace of the gods, and and he's questioning why. Like, why was I brought back? What is my purpose now? That, that's that's the question, isn't it, John? Several people asked me my opinion of why they didn't just bring Rickon back to life, and I feel like this scene is the key. Like, if you take Melisandre out of his word, she doesn't choose, and, and Thor yeah. Samir, for that matter... It's kind of beyond their power to bring people back to life. Yes, they're the instrument right. that this will acts upon, but it's not like something, it, it's not like, um, you know, using a spark to create a fire. It's mm-hmm. you, you can do that, and it's either going to catch fire and it's not, and it's up to the Lord of the Light. Now, I don't know how to interpret that, because that's something I'm always trying to figure out. You know, like, what is the nature of godhood and magic? Is this a scientific force? Is this a real no-shit supernatural thing? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, and this is more grist for the mill, but it does seem like if you take two red priests and priestesses at their word, that this it's not like they can just bring back anyone. So bringing back Rickon, right. I'm sure John... It's kind of curious 
it would have been nice to see a scene where John at least asked her. Asked her can to you bring, bring back my Reagan? brother back. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can you can I trade my now that now I'm still a bastard, he is the right Lord of what could I like that'd have been kind of like put a little noble thing. Can I trade my life for his? And she just say, Well, no, you can't. Yeah. Um but whatever. I mean, you can't you can't touch on everything, I guess. Right. And I I mean this speech more than ever from Melisandre about how look, I don't determine these things and it's the god who does it. Uh you know, that kind of implies that there's a bigger purpose for John. And he doesn't know what it is and he's not sure how to find it and he's just going to kind of do the things he's going to do and are those going to be right or are those going to be wrong? Yeah. Uh it I think it raises so many questions for him that he's got to struggle with and it's good to see that he's at least thinking about it. It's also good to see Melisandre kind of cooler jets on being so certain about everything. Yeah. Yeah. She's a lot... She has a smug look on her face at the end. (laughs) She's like, yep, this is exactly how I saw it. I just think you hate her. Boom. Uh, I (laughs) I do. I was about to say she's markedly less smug. Okay. In this particular scene, I agree. Yeah. By the end of it, where all her prophecies have come true, she's back to old Mm. Melisandre. She's going to be burning kids next week. I don't know. She was still still noticeably bundling up and huddling by the fire. Oh, okay. Tells Tells me... This is body language they've been using all season to show that her fires are kind of burning low. Speaking of fires, during his walk, Davos discovers the location where Shireen was burned and discovers the the stag carving that he gave her. And, uh, you know, he doesn't seem too happy about that. Mm. But unlike some other commanders we know, he doesn't fucking lose his shit and start some kind of Jersey Shore brawl about... Right. You know. How can you tell me you burnt Shireen? Yeah. That would be... Uh, they don't need that right now. No. So, good on you, Davos. We go over to Yara and Theon meeting with Danny and Tyrion in the, the throne room there in Marine. Uh, Tyrion rakes Theon over the coals about all the height jokes he used to he used to make. Uh, once he's done, Yara offers their ships in exchange for eliminating Euron, who's on his way to propose to Danny. Danny agrees as long as Yara changes literally everything about the island I, Iron Islanders uh, pirate culture. So okay. that's all well and good for her to say. What happens when she goes back to her men on the... She's like, good news, guys. I've made peace with Dragon King. Yeah! Bad news. You gotta stop the reaving and raping. What? Yeah. That's... We were raised but on But we're that. reavers! Yeah. You know? You're all out of work. Hang in your hang in your reaver hat. Right. I mean, this goes back to the idea of, you know, changing the Dothraki culture entirely, sure. changing the Iron Islanders, and snapping your fingers and expecting it to change. Like, that's yes. the part that I think is flawed in her reasoning. Yes. Uh, you can make these pacts with leaders, but the leaders don't control the culture of the people yeah. nearly as who much. Has, who has the power, you know? Right, right. It's a good question. And I... I mean, these are things that need to change over long periods of time. They can't just be forced upon people. Right. Um... I just I don't know if Danny understands. <laughs> is this going to be like the international ban on whaling, where the Iron Islanders are going to be allowed so so many hundred rapes and rees for scientific right. and research purposes? Yeah, and the world at large, like I don't think I think that I think the science on rape is settled. I know I don't. You know, we might need to do a couple hundred more. Who's to say? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's certainly a vivid analogy. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I couldn't help but notice is all the hypocrisy in this Ooh. particular scene, mm. both from Tyrion and Danny here. Like, we're on the subject of Danny, so let's talk about Danny. The no more reaping, raving, whatever stuff is 
essentially what she said, hey, Dothraki, let's go do to my enemies just last episode. I don't think she... Now she's doing it for. They're going to kill the men in the iron suits unquote, and tear cause. down their stone houses. But they're, she she saw she definitely, you know, put a, a, a soft touch on the whole raping and reaving part of that. Right. Right. There's still the killing. There's yeah. still the the reaving. Sure. Uh, the, the roving. The rove, I don't know. Do roving, they rove? Re, roving reavers. I think it was roving reaving, reaving raping. Hmm. Something like that. It's the three. I don't know. It feels. It <laughs> it's feels the three R's that are a cornerstone of the Dothraki and the uh, Ironborn educational system, right? And maybe this is, you know, part of of Tyrion uh, moderating her a little bit. Mm. Like when she's in Tyrion's company, she's much different than when she's outside of it. Yeah. Uh, and so the speech to the Dothraki is just like both motivational, a because that's what they want to hear. Sure. Um, so she gets them behind them that way, and also. Uh, you know, maybe maybe there is a little darkness in her in some ways. Well, the other thing about the Ironborn is I've always taken the fact that it's not like they just got around in primordial uh, Westerosi history and be like, you know what? We think we should do as people, we should reap and rave. They live on yeah. craggy rocks where crops can't grow, so... Right. Uh, as a consequence, they go and they are they are skilled sailors and they're tough warriors. So they go take from others who do the sewing. They're essentially pirates, right? Pirate yeah. culture. Yeah, it's, I mean, kind of like analogies Viking to pirates. Vikings. Okay. Um, but so like it's one thing to say, well, you can't. Are you going to have like an ironborn welfare system? Right. Are you going to ship ground? Like, what is? How are you going to? You know, because if you just say, "Well, you can't do the things you're done do to put food on your family's plate, but don't yeah. actually give them like," right? Is it going to go any better for Yara coming back and saying that than it did for Danny with the Masters? I mean, I don't know. It's it's tough to know until I want to go happens. back to. I wonder if they'll go back to uh, the old ways where the Iron Islanders control large swaths of like the Riverlands, so that can be like their bread baskets. Okay, and, and you know, because yeah. It, during the time of Hall, they were a respectable house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe we'll see how much she she gives them once she flies over to Westeros. Gotta do something. Queen. All the forearms shaking in the world ain't gonna put food on. It's true. A bunch of ironborn plates. The other bit of hypocrisy that I couldn't help but notice in this scene is the height jokes. Tyrion gets all self righteous oh, no about shit. oh every man thinks he's got an original height joke yeah what about the cock jokes Tyrion what about the f- uh, like okay you showed remarkable restraint mm. here in this scene not insulting Tyr- or Theon's cockless visage I wonder if he just but, doesn't know oh maybe yeah because they there it seemed like one of them asked like why aren't you making the claim and like there was some uncomfortable glances between him and Yara and then like yeah well she's the queen. Uh, but yeah, I wonder if they would, because he would have gone right for the cock, right? But, right, right. In last episode, he was. I mean, he saw Varys off with what I'm surprised wasn't a cock joke. Sure, sure. After 15 different ones. Like, come on, man. Yeah. The, Especially, the... it's it's one like, if you're part of one of these, you know, one down groups, it seems like you'd be more sensitive. Yeah, I would think so. Right. So. Like, I, I'm a guy whose real last name rhymes with jerk off. And oh boy, oh boy, how many thousands of times have I seen people independently make that realization and the light bulb goes off. Right. As I get older, people are and and you know, people are are more polite about it, but you can still and I'm like and a little more mature, I would think. Yeah, you'd hope. But 
Uh, yeah, like I, it's, I, I'm a little bit, I, I try not to go for the obvious joke because for that very reason. Yeah. You know, thousands of people have made it before. Uh, but yeah, it seemed a little hypocritical. Uh, the other thing I couldn't help but notice in this scene, we talked about it briefly. I made a suggestion, oh, maybe she's going to wait for Euron and take the rest of his ships because, you know, Tyrion said we barely have enough ships for our, our men. Um, Danny also says, why should I wait for him in reference to Euron when sure. Yara says... Uh, he's coming and you need to kill him. Wait and kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems clear to me that she's not going anywhere until she gets those ships and holds up her end of the bargain for Yara, which is to, to eliminate Euron. Do you think that's all going to happen next episode? Like, Do you think we'll actually get Danny leaving? Because that's the one big yes. thing you're like, yes, you yes. want to happen. Yes, yes. Okay. Yara and Theon her. got there real quick, so I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Well, and again, the narrow sea is na- the narrow sea. It's right. like, if you look at it on a map, it's barely as wide as the skinniest part of Westeros. Yeah. So, and I think that, I, I, I feel like two seasons ago, I, get, I did some comparative analysis about the width of the wall, which we kind of know, and the width of the continent. And I think that like the narrow seas average like 150 miles across. Like a Mediterranean sort of thing? I, much smaller, smaller, I would say. Um, you know, so I feel like that crossing that is a, a, a couple days at best proposition on a, on a ship. Yeah. And regardless, I mean, they jump around in time, like we said. So I, I was just encouraged that the show itself was actually getting to that, Mm -hmm. uh, immediately instead of letting it play out for a while. I I definitely, I'm still holding fast to my, for my, not prediction, almost demand, that Danny gets the fuck out of Dodge. But you agree with me that she has to wait for Euron to show up, right? So you think next episode... No, I, th- I would like to see the meet on the high sea. Like, that could be something like an early season thing for next year. Because I would like to see a naval okay. battle. I think that would be fucking cool. That, would like, it be a naval battle, or would it just be dragons again? Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like it's going to be uh, battleships versus aircraft carriers. Also, how do you, like, take advantage of the extra ships he has while you're already at sea? What do you mean take advantage of the extra ships? Like, you'd have to go board all those things at sea. How do you get all the supplies you'd need and the men you'd need? I feel oh, like yeah. they got to wait for mm. Euron to come to Essos. Well, shit, because I do not believe that Euron would make it. Because then you gotta, he's huh. got to build the damn ships, man. He's got to right. build. Right. And they, they do that and get across there, sail all the way around. Yeah, <laughs> It has know. me worried about your demand, but... Uh, I, I'm You're kinda, right. I'm it with makes you, logical sense, but I I would think that I don't know why Danny would wait because they made it seem like she could just barely. Maybe she has to make two trips. I don't know. She could get. It seems like with all the ships she has in at her disposal, she can barely make the. I don't know what that means. Right. Like, does that mean you can bring half the guys across? You can bring the guys, but not the horses. You can bring the horses, but not the guys. Like, uh, right. I'm. You got a bag of grain, a chicken, and a fox, yeah. and an old man in a canoe, and you got to get it across the Westeros. Gray Worm and Sandy can't be together no, in the boat because not. they'll end up having a weird non-bone session. Tyrion right. can't be with either of them. He'll make sure. them drink. He'll yeah. Danny can't be with Tyrion because he thinks he's an idiot. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a it's a real real shell game. You got to play there. It Logistical is. shell game. Uh, the other thing that. I'm curious about is what Danny does. So she sent these slavers cowering with their tail between their legs. What well, happens when she abandons yeah. Essos? 
Do you think she's properly impressed them enough to to change their ways? Well, my thought was once she had the Dothraki, um, it seems to me that she has the raw manpower in spades that she could yeah. both garrison her city and have a credible invasion force. Is she going to leave Yara in charge? Does she leave Tyrion in charge? Like, because she's going to peace out. I mean. I feel like that you could leave Miss Sandy in charge because Grey Worm, I think, is a general. Yeah. Although I guess Dario is also kind of like one of their military leaders. Oh yeah, he's still around. So maybe you leave Grey Worm and Miss Sandy in charge because that seems like that's what um, Tyrion was kind of grooming them for. Yeah, and saying like you know by making them conspicuously have to uh, talk to the civil leaders of the city about the 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 slavery deal they did. Could be, yeah. But I feel like you can leave a. You know, there's another kind of a chicken bag of corn fox situation in that if you just left 50,000 Dothrakis and Grey Worm, I don't know that he can maintain control. But if you led like a detachment of 1,000 Unsullied and 15,000 Dothraki and, Uh you know, a strong commander in place, then maybe, maybe that would be enough. And it feels like they're the most on board with Danny's mission. Uh, You know, her, her rough sentiments will be on display under their leadership. Yeah, so. and she did get the whole, like, I mean, maybe that this whole, you're all blood rider, you're all blood riders, maybe that's going to carry the day. Yeah. That they, Leave they Yara that in seriously. charge. Like, Yara just waiting for Euron to show up, and when Euron does, thinking Danny will be there. I think that's interesting, but I just feel like, if, if anything, you'd leave Theon behind. Okay. <laughs> Theon and Sandy. All right, and Grey Worm. And Grey Worm. Although I, I do, I do feel like Grey Worm's got to come with Danny. Yeah, he's the leader of the Unsullied. Yeah, they, they yeah. answered him. Yeah. So okay, that's my that's my read of the situation. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Uh, let's go over to the battle, the Battle of the Bastards. It begins with Ramsay. I'm just going to go describe this whole thing, and then we can talk about it. Sure. Uh, begins with Ramsay allowing Rickon to run across the field. John. Oh wait, before we move on. Yeah. Uh, we we speculate about sparks flying between Yar and Danny. We've seen the sparks such as they are fly. What, right. What's your read on that? Like they're they're not pressing the issue. Like Yara isn't isn't saying, "Yeah, I want to do what Euron wants to do." None of them are saying this is a deal breaker, though. No, right? There, there's there's some wry wry looks and half smiles and waggled eyebrows on both sides. Yeah, yeah, it seems okay. like okay. All right, nobody's turning it down. Nobody's <laughs> saying it'll happen. It's just it's there on the table. Okay. Okay, Battle of the Bastards begins. Ramsay allows Rickon to run across the field to John. Uh, he puts an arrow through him right in front of John, which causes John to charge Ramsay alone, which in turn causes Davos to charge with the cavalry, and the battle proper begins. Uh, Ramsay continues firing arrows at everyone, though Davos won't. And then the Umbers surround what's left of John's forces with a phalanx. And just before John's guys are crushed and stabbed to death, the Knights of the Vale show up to save him. Ramsay retreats behind the wall. Uh, unfortunately, John has a giant, which breaks down the gate, and uh, Ramsay finishes off one-one with an arrow. But then decides he's going to engage John in one-on-one combat, bow versus shield, and he loses. And John stops just short of punching him to death. I thought it was a really cool Battle detail over. that the shield that John picks up is a Mormont bear shield. Oh, is it? Which implies <laughs> out of those sixty-some men. One of them motherfuckers made it all the way to the gates of Winterfell and inside the city. Hell yeah, they did. <laughs> like those are some pretty. Uh, Lady Mormont did not undersell their toughness. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's the thing about an action-heavy episode is, boy, you can really sum it up in like 30 seconds. Right. This is like a 10, 15-minute battle mm-hmm. here that is amazing. Yeah. Like I said, I I feel like it's more rewarding than Hard Home um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you still get some giant action. Uh, yeah, you don't have that kind of – that feeling of just completely – impending doom Mm -hmm. in the same way because there's always like this thing in the back of your head okay maybe they're gonna switch sides okay maybe the knights of the veil will show up but it is still pretty epic and i did feel like john might die again yeah throughout the course of this thing yeah like i was not sure enough but like especially when he starts getting trampled i never felt like that at hard home i guess yeah yeah the difference sure um, but when he was getting trampled and it kind of like just an ebb and flow to that too, where it feels like he was about to get to his feet and then he got knocked down again. And then like people started walking on his yeah. ribs and like he started gasping and concert I'm like, gone wrong. Or something. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, it's a crazy nightclub fire incident. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and I've that, boy, if you've ever got on Reddit and you say, like, it seems like every six months I'm going to post that nightclub fire where, you know, it's some, that's, that's a reason why you're supposed to have a certain number of entrances and, like, there's limits on how many people you can have in a room because when people go mad to try to get away from noxious stimulus, for example, fire or pointy spears, mm-hmm. you literally can generate enough force that you can crush people's rib cages and yeah. suffocate them like a python mm-hmm. and that was what was happening to to john and it was you know i'm a little person i'm i'm a little person uh i'm the opposite of that i am I have a touch of claustrophobia myself and it was physically uncomfortable like he the way he got in there and down in the dirt and just filmed that it, yeah all those pov scenes everything starts to blur go yeah dark. it was really had me antsy Antsy yeah. and the pansy. No, the the cinematography here is amazing. The effects are amazing. The choreography is amazing. I mean, just like little touches where like uh, John it, it, and a lot of this is curbed from other movies, but like John grabbing the guy and says, "Get word for," and then an arrow just kills him. Right. And him and Tormund are having a conversation. All of a sudden, a dude that's like headless and on fire rides past, and uh-huh. then one one snatches him up. Like you know, I just want to take a step back and be like the fact that someone coordinated and choreographed all this out, like beat for beat, yeah. was pretty pretty amazing. Oh, I agree. Uh, also, I, I, I couldn't have been happier with this. Scene. I want to walk back my criticism of the piles of bodies because people, like there's like, you know, hardcore military history nerds sent me in example after example, both in ancient times. Uh, the Battle of Kenai was mentioned uh, heavily right where like firsthand accounts of people saying mounds of bodies like as higher than a man's st- height uh also there's uh, several medieval battles where that was described mm-hmm. uh there was two civil war battles where apparently like, apparently the the bodies grew so numerous that it formed a mound and then there's, there's also a battle in the world war one where the the dutch were firing upon german forces and they just kept sending wave after wave of men and yeah. formed another eight nine foot tall body of corpses so shit can happen when you've got <laughs> mass volleys of our, our well the medieval artillery in this case right so, i honestly don't feel like there's anything to criticize from a military accuracy standpoint here no like i i mean 
the, you the can bodies criticize can the tactics, happen. but right, but, but but as presented, it seems like nothing was impossible. I yeah. I do think that it was foolish to not give the giant some kind of weapon. And oh, also, I, the third time I was watching this, because uh, I'd already gotten most of my notes, so I just kind of find myself caught up again. I'm like, why can't that giant break through? He can. He absolutely. I mean, they have him ineffectively swinging at the air most of the time. Yeah, like if, he's like, swatting. That's nothing. the thing. Like he's not afraid to take because he comes in right. like a fucking pincushion. So yeah, I get that he would have to take a couple shots, but that's he the could one easily thing. have trampled through there, and there's not easily. a fucking thing they could have done about it. Right. If you can send a, a stream of horses to trample those guys, one one could have been twice as effective. Yeah. I mean, he could have kicked his way through that line, broken it, and everybody could have streamed through. It's and that's the thing. Like I don't. I mean, I that guess, was kind of bullshit. Yeah, and maybe he's like fucking enraged, and he's not thinking straight, or maybe the Giants' just relative intelligence is not such that they can make yeah. judgments like that in battle. But that was the one thing that was disappointed. Like, why have one one survive to essentially accomplish nothing? Yeah, to break down the gate, which they could have done. Yeah. Anyway, they had the men at that point, and I, I also would have preferred if he not died. Like, I thought that was an unnecessary bummer. I felt like he was pretty much dead when he walked in. I don't think none the, of those arrows the arrow looked, to the eye. Really? None of those arrows looked individually fatal. Not individually. I think collectively, though. Yeah, maybe. Like, so many. Like, he was a pincushion. He had 15, He's 20, those 25 thick, arrows in Those him. thick furs and hides, and you got to think yeah. their skins proportionally and muscle. Like, it'd be like if I stuck you with 50 acupuncture needles. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't like it, but you wouldn't <laughs> right. die. They're a little bigger than that, but I, I take your point. And... Maybe him, you know, kind of kneeling and looking so. Uh, and him and John were having a moment. Was literally just him being worn out. Like, yeah, tired. Like not... I, I was in a battle rage, and now like we've kind of won, and it's leaving. Yeah, and and I thought him and John were having a moment. Like they were. We're too old for this shit. And then fucking Ramsey. Fucking Ramsey. Yep, Ramsey doing his thing. Uh, yeah, I I don't like that he was ineffective. Now a lot of people have complained about John surviving these arrow volleys. That's, I I don't have a problem with that at all. That yes, it's lucky. The lu- yeah, it's the, yes, it's lucky. But if you look in the background, there are a thousand other men who survived those sure. volleys as well. Why? What is it about John that says he couldn't be one of those? Because right. he's the hero? Because the camera's pointed at him? Sure. No, it's not a problem. Freaky shit happens on battlefields, and the ones that are the lucky beneficiary of that get medals of honor and whatnot. Right. I mean, that's what's yeah. really fun is like if you, if you look through some of... Um, if you look through a lot of the like you know recent Medal of Honor, it, it's, it does seem like, uh, yeah, it's, it's super brave and gallant that this person d- does that. But you feel like that for everyone that gets awarded, probably ten people died trying to do the shit that they're doing. It, right. There's so much luck involved in this battlefield oh, totally. heroics, yeah. Um, especially in a modern day where it's like that only times ten. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, you, I'm, I'm broadly agree with you. There's not much to once you get past the tactical stupidity of Jon Snow. And the ineffectiveness of the giant. But other than that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like... Also, these knights, man, not fucking around. These knights roll in. Yeah. They just trample to death all of these surrounding umbers. Like, Well, and I also thought that was cool that they showed kind of like how much better quality, or at least that's the impression I got, that the yeah. knights of it, like they're riding in with full plate armor. Yep. They, you know, where these northern men have, like, at best, you know, leather jerkins yeah. with chain mail and what. These guys are just heavy, heavy cavalry coming in to, to, to properly fuck 
this double envelopment. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's just like water breaking. Out. Like the the way they do the effects is like these horses just ride through these men. It's yeah, horrific, <laughs> but heroic and amazing. And yeah, I loved it. Uh, the other thing is uh, on Reddit, a lot of people, you know, they do fan art and stuff, and so many people did fan art of one one this mm. this week, and I couldn't help, I couldn't help but think, isn't he just designed to look like Akuma from Street Fighter? Like, Akuma from Street Fighter. Yeah, one one looks exactly like Akuma. I don't know. That's, that's okay. Um, look at look at the fan art. He okay. looks exactly like Akuma. Like he's gonna do a fucking flying kick or something. My, my Street Fighter knowledge is stuck in the Street Fighter two days. So uh, if it's yeah. three or Alpha or versus Capcom or whatever the fuck they're up to now, I, I, I don't know about it. And like this is so this is like what five thousand people clashing on the battlefields. Probably uh, under ten, certainly. Yeah, five uh, to eight, sure. You think about some of the, like, you were talking about the bodies piling up, like those Roman battles with those armies, and there were, like, 80,000 men on the field. Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine what that looks like, the chaos of it. Sure. When they clash. Uh, well, they, they, really the last, impressive. like, you know, if you're a Dan Carlin fan, uh, which a lot of these guys yeah. writing in were, uh, you know, his last um, his last hardcore history on King of Kings, they talk about some of these battles and like, you know, modern depictions and how like, I guess people would for days and weeks afterwards tour the battlefields is because it was a, it was just this fucking thing where it's just like 10,000 corpses would just be mounded up and piled and blood running through the, and it was just like, uh, you know, like, uh, they would tour it the way we do haunted houses. Like, yo, look at this fucking thing. Right. Um, the cleanup operation. Yeah, he's got some pretty pretty vivid, um, and the uh, you know his his hardcore history session. Uh, he did like a five part on World War One. It's mm-hmm. like holy hell, holy yeah, I hell. mean World War One. The numbers are just yeah insane. You're talking like a hundred thousand in, in per a, side. A, yeah, like in a ugh. single battle. Right. I can't even For, imagine. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, was, yeah, we can't get... No. We, we gotta stick with the Battle of the Bastards. But, you know, for a slice of that, this was super impressive. Sure. Uh, the other thing I have questions about now is the ramifications of this victory for the North. Um, both, you know, the Starks retaking Winterfell, what happens to the Glovers? What happens to the Umbers, the Karstarks? Uh, what's next for Littlefinger? Like, wh- what is the aftermath of this battle for the North? I mean, it feels like Sansa is Sansa and Jon are not going to let the people who wouldn't stand with them keep the territory and lands they have and just go, oh, you won that battle? Sure, we'll pledge our loyalty to you now again. Like Glover especially. Like I think that there's a lot of precedent for forgiving the, you know. You think so? Yeah. Like, I mean, Rob, Robert Baratheon pardoned a shit ton of people after mm-hmm. the rebellion. You kind of almost have to. Right. Because if not, you, you know, if you can't, like, you might take hostages. Like, you might take some of Lord Glover's sons or daughters to live in Winterfell's, which is yeah, straight up hostage situation. Just mm-hmm. like they, that's how Theon, you know, if you'll recall, got to yep. be Ned Stark's ward in the first place. Uh, it's a pledge of good conduct. You might have to do something like that, but I don't see Sansa and John just purging the north of people because again the glove especially the fuck you john if you put the glovers through the sword because they had legit reasons for not joining they you. did what about the umbers and the car stars fuck who directly all fought fuck against them. all the umbers and the car stars okay good i'm glad you're on board with some vengeance here yeah like at least i mean i'm sure you gotta line up their men and kill them but like yeah right the, the, the lords for yeah. F- yeah yeah yep. uh I, i'm with you there now 
I'm curious what Littlefinger does at this point because yes, yes, he's got the armies, he's got the lands, he's got the titles, he's got the na- he's got everything he really needs to be a lord. Uh, and he seems to be a hundred percent on Sansa's side. Like I think he came back not because it's part of his master plan, but because he felt he owed something to Sansa. Well. I don't know if I'm that certain. Maybe it also happens to work out in his favor. I mean, I to definitely help them take Winterfell. But I, I've thought a lot about it, and I'm definitely on. I'm open to the idea that he might genuinely be in love or chagrined or been hoodwinked by the Boltons. Like, I'm I'm open okay. to that idea. I was pretty resistant, but now, so I'm, I'm open to it. We'll see what happens. My my big question is. John and Davos and Tormund are doing this to save the world. Right. Littlefinger is he going? Is he going to believe the story about these ice these these White Walkers? And does Sansa care? Because for Sansa, uh-huh. she mission accomplished. Yeah. Boltons are dead. She has her home back. Is she going to believe about all this stuff beyond the wall? And what is Littlefinger going to do? Because man, yeah. like there's. The the end result is there's half as many Northmen to resist the armies of the dead than there were before. Right, right. I mean the the two bigger houses up there, the Umber and the, the Karstarks, are and and, and decimated you know, at least. How is Littlefinger going to convince Sweet Robin to stay? Like I, yeah. there you're right. There, now we now that this mess is out of the way, what does the landscape look like? What do the wildlings do? Battle of the, yeah, right. I mean, where do they go? Are they given lands? Are they going to be content like with that? It, that's a th- I've never worried about what to do with the wildlings because the one thing the North has got a shit ton of is land. And that's what they want. And guess what? Yeah. You got two other fiefdoms that just opened up in the Umbers right. and the Karstarks. That, hey, you know what? You are now Lord of the Last Hearth, right. Tormund. Give Congratulations. Yep. Good job going full on Rick Grimes on uh, the Umber. And that's all they ever wanted was to get south of the wall, right? Yeah. And so now you've got you can have lands and keeps and all kinds of stuff. Like there is plenty right. of spoils to go around. So I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about if Littlefinger takes the real threat seriously. Because if he just goes and marches yeah. the knights back, you know. Or if he sees it as an opportunity. Sure. You like know, why, why doesn't he just roll these all up and say to Cersei. Send a raven saying, hey, I found this happening. The Boltons were killed. I've cleaned up and I've maintained garrison at Winterfell. I can just be Lord of the North if you want. Right. I mean, it wouldn't be to Cersei. I guess it'd be to Tommen and, and Kevin. But Sure, at this point, yeah. Yeah, it's a big while. A big, big question mark. What are his true intentions? Why did he come here? What is he expecting? Yeah. How much did the Starks owe him, etc.? I'm excited. You know, it opens up a lot of possibilities. Kind of a new chapter. Mm-hmm. In the stories for all these characters, it would turn my stomach a little bit to see Jon Snow shake his hand and say, "We, are, my family, has much debt to owe to you." As Littlefinger <laughs> smirks, uh huh. Like, Jesus. does he even know no. what went down? I guess he wouldn't. You know who does though? Sansa. Yeah, she totally knows. She knows a lot about not like the full extent, but she knows a lot about the bar- the bodies that he has buried. Right. So, including her father, like that's yeah, and she didn't fuck him when the Knights of the Vale were all there putting it to her, but she might have a second go at that. I don't, maybe, maybe so. Uh, speaking of Sansa, she goes to see Ramsay, who's tied up in his kennel, and he doesn't think the dogs are going to eat him, but they do. And Sansa walks away smiling, you know, there's a lot of smugness from Ramsay here, uh, the last bastions of hope for him. Uh, and you know, Sansa finally gets a little bit of 
what she wants, a little bit of the revenge she's been looking for. You know what I'm disappointed at? Huh. As liberally as Ramsey was throwing the word bastard around in both his fucking letter and yeah. his episode, he's I got wished, the name now. I wish that either John or Sands had thrown it back in his face as he was beaten. Oh, beaten by a bastard. Yeah. 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 It would have would have been good. Or just call him a bastard. Like your 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 you know, your house is dead, your name's already dead. Yeah. Just just lay it on thick. You got the name, but that didn't change. But I guess that's are. why they're heroic. But yeah, I guess they're heroic, but they're also feeding him to his own dogs, like eh. <laughs> There's yeah, different but, different stripes of heroes in the story. I mean it just it feels so right with his dogs eating him. It's it's symbolic of just Ramsey's Ramsiness coming back to bite him, literally. I mean Yeah. Everything about Ramsey, his stupidity in killing his father and not listening sure. to him, uh, just his Bruce Bolton's still alive. Bruce Bolton's still alive, and I, I think John gets soundly defeated. I think so too. I, I think that turns into a siege that they can't really win because he never would have rode forth to meet them. No, why would? Why would you? Yeah, you have walls. Uh-huh. Use them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm glad to see him defeated essentially by himself here. Uh, let's let's talk about something else. Yeah. Uh, Ramsey asserts that he is a part of Sansa now, which mm-hmm. has freshly reopened the Sansa's pregnant with Rolton Bolton Bolton's oh, baby. Did it? That's yes. not what he means, people. That's not what that means. I'm just saying, like the amount it means he forever changed her. <laughs> the amount there's not a rookery in the Seven Kingdoms that'll hold the amount of crow we're gonna have to eat if she's fucking pregnant with Ramsey Bolton's right. baby. <laughs> Having said that, I still maintain that none of this is any kind of evidence of that. Like the whole, I can I'm still feel what he's did to my body and I'm a part of you. Like this is all. And honestly, I think it's not even metaphorical because as she's walking away, that smirk. Like she starts to turn away, but then she looks back fascinated and then she walks away yeah. and smiles. Like that is a part of Ramsey that's now a part of her. Like she I think started, he's absolutely right. She started this story as an innocent girl who loves chivalry and dresses and yeah. knights that gave flowers, and now she is a girl who revels in the uh, cru- in her own cruelty inflicted upon her enemies. Yeah, and that it, is the part of Ramsey that's within her. Absolutely correct, and it's not just Ramsey that's that's a part of her. It's Littlefinger that's a part of her. It's yes. Joffrey that's a part of her. It's everybody she's ever met, and that's so it's like true Arya of everyone. is carrying around all the imprints of the people that have made an impact on her life. Yep, Sans is doing the same. Absolutely. That's all I have to say about the episode. Well, that is the uh, that's pretty much the end. It's a good, good, good thing. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible, and if you go to audiblepodcast.com/got, you can get a free thirty day trial of the service. And I'm about to tell you why. Because I am a legit fan of uh, this service. Uh, I am a member. Me too. And I think it's great because I'm also a big reader on Kindle. Um, And if you've got a cell phone or a tablet or any kind of modern e-reader device, you essentially have that ability. And it's cool because you can get, like, both the audiobook and the Kindle. I prefer, like, I'm a read-first kind of guy. I know you're, like, a listen-first kind of guy. Yeah. But regardless, um, I can read in my bed and have whisper sync synchronized where I'm at the audiobook and it like picks up on the word that I left off on. I'm mean, it's actually kind of creepy. I'm not sure how it does that. <laughs> I mean it's not usually that precise, but yeah. it's definitely on the same usually paragraph or page. And what that allows me to do is just mainline books faster than should be humanly possible because I don't have to ever stop. I'm going to uh, to pick up my kid from school, I'm still listening to my book. 
Uh, I get home and it's bedtime and I want to read. I'm reading my book. Get in the car the next morning. It's just a continual cycle. Uh, it's also cool because one of my chief frustrations in audiobooks is sometimes the narrator doesn't read at my comfortable speed. Like they're either too slow or too fast. And you can fully yeah. adjust that. And it doesn't give you the chipmunk or the job or no bottle effect. Yeah. Um, it's like just like super cool technology. Uh, the thing for me is it has encouraged me to, you know, quote unquote, read a <laughs> to lot be more. Read to. Yeah. Right. Like I, I just stopped reading for a very long period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with Audible, you know, I'm signed up. I have my monthly membership. So every month I'm getting a new book yeah. that I can read. So it's encouraged me to to pick up a lot of things that I wouldn't have ever picked up before. Uh, and I, I feel like that's a good thing for me. Killer feature for George R. R. Martin fans is they have the complete and unabridged works of right. A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, read by Roy Dotris, uh, Dotris, who played the pyromancer in season two, mm-hmm. the old wizened little guy, which is kind of a neat little cameo. And uh, that's uh, that's how I was able to read. Like I got through like Feast and Dance in like six weeks because I was just able to rapidly infuse it um, back in the day. <laughs> oh, word of warning here. Uh, a story from my girlfriend. She actually thought that the that Dorn was called Dawn because yeah. of Roy Joatrice's accent. Yeah, yeah. And so she was like confused. Oh, they they call the sword Dawn, and the the place is called Dawn. And, yeah. And I, I was because we were talking about Doran and Dorn. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's funny how those names are so similar. And she's like, well, one of them's Dawn. I'm like, nope. <laughs> Yeah, it's totally. He's got a bit of a brogue or a. He does. It sounds real good though. Yeah, it it, it's and I like to step. I like to get old Roy stepping like a like a one point two. Oh yeah, you have to. Yeah, because I I like I like to be read a little bit faster. But that's the cool. It's it's all in. uh, You got all that power at your fingertips. There's a hundred and eighty thousand other pieces of audiobook and spoken word audio projects. Uh, so you can find what you're looking for. And again, you can get a free 30-day trial of the service by going to audiblepodcast.com slash GOT. I highly recommend it. Uh, shall we get the feedback? Yeah, let's do it. As always, you can send feedback to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com and on forums.baldmove.com uh, if you want to discuss spoiler or non-spoiler takes. Whatever. Um, Brett from Canada said, hey, guys, uh, as as... As usual, these first few are from last week's uh, that I wasn't able to get to. Uh, Brett from Canada says, Hey guys, got something I wanted your opinion on. Do you think in Season 7 we could potentially have a battle for the throne between Littlefinger and Varys? Each of them left the capital at about the same time and went their separate ways to assemble their own army. These two are up there with the sneakiest of characters on the show, and it's a well-known fact of their dislike for one another. I think a showdown between them would be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, we're always talking cool. about Danny and John and Arya and Sansa and and all that stuff, but it is a Game of Thrones, right? And yes. as much as anyone is playing the game, Littlefinger and Varys are playing it well, right? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Like if that's the story that Martin wants to tell, and it's not one of triumph, of heroism, or noble intentions, then it could very well be like he he who plays the game the best wins. Uh. I just don't know if that's quite as satisfying as having a true hero on the throne at the end. Sure. Uh, Will Q said, In Tuesday's show, you received an email from someone who claimed that the High Sparrow might be preferable to the Lannisters. Why well, would prefer a more humanistic religious leader such as Ian McShane, Septon Ray, or a wise and thoughtful king or queen who, with advisors like Tyrion or Varys without any creeping Manson, Manson family followers with symbols carved into their heads? I actually agree with the writer for the following reasons. The wars between noble houses... 
The Lannisters and other noble houses don't just do things like round up and kill Robert's bastards and kill them. They launch wars that cause massive starvation, looting and pillaging, general skullduggery that blows back predominantly on the small folk. Which is the entire point of A Feast for Crows and all the buddy road trip scenes on the show crisscrossing Westeros. At the worst, like the Boltons, Chaotic Evil, Eris the Mad King, Neutral Evil, and Lannisters, Lawful Evil, the Noble Houses are the most debased people in the entire show universe. While at their best, like Ned Stark, Lawful Good, or Daenerys, Neutral Good, they are willing to plunge the world into utter destruction over abstract concepts such as divine rule or honor. That's a fair point, because when we were talking last week, we were saying, like, if I'm a person in Flea Bottom... Who am I more afraid of? The Lannisters, who's probably not going to interrupt my wine, women, and song, or Mm -hmm. the High Septon that might bash both. But if you get caught up in their conscript army, and now your guts are hanging out in the middle of a battlefield, like, it does have... We were probably too shallow and narrow in our analysis of the situation. Well, I still think there's, you know, some equivocacy that can happen here between the two. I mean, they're both kind of abstract concepts. One is... Uh, from the the High Sparrow side, it's him saying that God wants us to do these things, which is in itself the most abstract of concepts. Yeah. Uh, and then he's just applying that to the people of the city. I mean, it there are going to be people out there that you need to be afraid of, regardless. Right. I I just don't see that there's a huge difference. Right. And he will says there's no evidence that faith punishes ordinary people, and he uh, he spends a couple paragraphs talking about this more but then he compares it to uh the faith militant remind me of accounts of the taliban movement in the early 90s who were welcomed by many afghans after the trauma inflicted on them by years of civil war warlords and moral degradation in refugee camps in pakistan where rapes and murders were quite common of course eventually they were blowing up ancient statues of buddha preventing girls from going to school banning music and kite flying and generally acting like religious tyrants but we're not there yet in the events of the show and I guess that's where I just assume that's always going to go. Uh, and Will continues, right. uh, I tend to think your anti-religious biases are determining your reading of the show. Absolutely. And, I don't deny that at all. And frankly, probably history more broadly. There are plenty of instances of history where religious reformers brought on stringent regimes that offend aspects of our modern sensibilities. But you have to ask, A, why these groups arose, and B, whether what you learned about them from, say, the Crucible is truly accurate. Um... And he mentions uh, Calvin's Geneva, the Dutch Republic, and Puritan New England were not actually the dour places run by brutal theocrats as commonly depicted. They supported a greater degree of religious toleration, democratic freedom based on active citizenship, checks and balances on power, mass literacy and public education, and concern for the rights of the downtrodden. So you're right. You can, you know, and then, you know, like the abolitionist movement in America was largely driven by religious elements. So it's not sure, always I, a shit show. It's not always, but if you take a look at what the High Sparrow has done up to this point, is he's punishing people who, in his eyes, have sinned. And he's doing so by very, very harsh means. He's yes. imprisoning them, he's beating them, he's torturing them. Uh, th- what makes you think that that's going to stop at royalty? I agree. Why, once he's in power, would he stop doing these things for, you know, the promotion of his ideals But there's also, to the, the common people? There's also and that evidence that he will just spread this on down to the bottom and, and make it into a religious ty- you know, tyrant regime either. But I feel like that, like, if he's going to apply universally these, these same standards to everyone, that's the natural outcome of that. 
True, but it does seem like his paradigm is more return power to the people. Like, fight the rich and powerful. So that means that that could very literally mean it's going to stop once the rich and powerful are deposed. (sighs) Maybe. I'm just saying that, like, I'm completely open to acknowledging my biases uh, and and my prejudices when I'm discussing the show in history. So not wrong to call us on that, Will. Mm -hmm. Um, Moving on to Eric. said, you mentioned your Tuesday review of Game of Thrones. No one, the Arya, has never used a faceless man face before and wondered whether it's possible for her to use a face without removing her own. Proofs refer to the scenes where Arya assassinates Marin Trant. She used a face when she removes uh, what she removes to the shock of Marin, and this is the same episode where she is poisoned and goes blind. Honestly, I don't remember saying that. I don't know if one of us misspoke because we were discussing the scene in which she puts the face back and is poisoned by it. Um, anyway, several, several, several people emailed that in correction, and, and uh, okay. again. It's one of those things where I'm not sure if I misspoke or whatnot, but sure enough, uh, that is a high, a big inaccuracy. Um, yeah. What I meant to say is since we never saw the mechanics of how a face is transferred, that... Does she actually need to physically have the face on her? Yes, and does it have to be a face that's been through the curing and magical whatever process that's mad, that mounts it to the wall? Um, you'll notice that the ma- the face she put on with the wave was not like nice and neat and cured. It was just bloodily ripped off and kind right. of sagging on the thing. So I guess my 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 lament is since we spent two seasons here and we still comparatively know almost no much about their religion and their magic. Yeah. Um, I'm just bracing myself for her to be able to do whatever the fuck she wants with faces without any real rhyme or reason to it. That's my fear because they haven't taught me the rules yet. That's what I was trying mm-hmm. to express. Um, uh, gotcha. Shittily, as Eric said. Uh, uh, and it might have been me saying it. And if it was, I was just wrong. Could be. We're, we we definitely uh, are the Voltron of dumbasses. We combine <laughs> and, and are more powerful than we are individually. Uh-huh. Uh, Brian D. We're, we're each half-ass and put together full-on ass. Uh, Brian D. said, Since the Hound is with Beric now and the Brotherhood is marching north to fight the Night's King, uh, what if Beric teaches the Hound how to ignite his weapon? We saw this season from Cold Hands, the Bingen's fire weapons are effective against the army of the dead and not exclusive to Beric. Given that the mountain is undead and he gave Sandor his burns, would this not be a possible path to victory for the Hound if the Clegane Bowl goes down somehow? Uh, I So, number one, the mountain being undead has nothing to do with being a white. Like, sure. I don't think that yeah. undead equals wicker furniture. Um, so, I know. But your other point about um, whatever trickery that Beric used to ignite his sword to fight the Hound, that seems like it would be a pretty badass weapon to use against whites. Yeah. If you don't have obsidian or dragon glass, which is weapon A, you know, 1B and 1A against them, then sure, set a sword on fire. Right. Won't do anything against the White Walkers, but it would work against whites. It doesn't seem like it. Um, the other thing I wanted to squash is I got a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of people saying, why is John burying Rickon instead of burning him? Because aren't the Northerners, don't they burn bodies because they're afraid that they'll turn into whites? I, my read of the situation is the, the, and I could be wrong because they, they were, this is a poorly understood mechanic, but I've always thought that the white walkers can't just resurrect any ancient dead. Okay. That those kind of really corrupted ice zombies are for ones that they raised long, long ago. Mm, it's not gotcha. like they can just walk yeah. through a graveyard and pull everything out of the ground. Right. Um, 
So I could be wrong, but I I don't think that the North burns bodies because they're afraid of that. That might be a you know who knows that could be a cultural bugaboo for them. But and I mean don't they want to the burn bodies north of the wall? Don't the Starks also like? Isn't it history that they put all of their noble their lords, their lords in the their lords in crypt? the crypts? Yeah, their kings and their lords. Right. So I mean, maybe he just doesn't give a shit about that. Like, look, this is my brother. This is where sure. he belongs. I'm putting him there with my father, and I'm putting him there with yeah. all of the noble Starks from history. Like, yeah. you know, and you you bury him in a concrete box. He's probably not going to get out of that, even if he does yeah, become a white. That's true. So, and like, are they going to go down and just you know, like, what's one more little boy corpse, right? In, in the teeming sea of the dead at that point. <laughs> uh, Danny B says, "When we waxed wistfully about a so the other thing I was ex- somewhat excited about before we move on is the mention of going down to bury some in the crypts of Winterfell because there are some theories that you know one of the things like there's some kind of magic with the Starks um, and connected to the wall and whatnot and that they that, that you only bury the kings and the lords and that maybe Ned fucked up somehow by burying his sister down there mm-hmm. um, and that we could have another scene in the crypts and might, there might be some mysteries yet to uncover along those lines so I'm kind of excited about potentially going down to the crypts and seeing if there's anything to those rumors slash theories right We'll see. Maybe there's wildfire under there. Wild, uh, <laughs> Mad King's reach Much exceeded, more. His, exceeded his grasp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he even packed in the fist of the first man. How did he do it? Uh, Danny B said when he was waxing wistfully about a, pu- a, fu- a possible future as a vintner, I was, she's talking about Tyrion here, mm-hmm. I was immediately reminded of Sam Neill's performance in The Hunt for Red October where he dreamed of his rabbit farm in Montana only to tragically die his dream unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. Until that moment, I was certain that Tyrion... Uh, would survive the series. Now I fear his life will reflect his stature. Uh, I guess that's... It will a, be short. It'll be short. Shame so. on you. Yep. And yep. I died dickless in a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think about that? I mean, that is kind of... Uh, I feel like using tropes as future f- predicting analysis is kind of effective. You know, there are languages in cinema and everybody... Right. Like seen... I mentioned the rule of three. I mean, they're... There are there are conventions to maintain. There are rules. This isn't Vietnam. Yes. Uh, I, I, right. I feel like that. I don't know, man. Ever since I threw that out there a couple weeks ago, I'm starting to feel feel like that. Probably something in my gut says Tyrion ain't going to make it. Man. Yeah, I mean, really, who is going to make it at this point? Like, I don't know that anybody we started with is going to make it, except for maybe Danny and John. Yeah. Like, those are the only two that I really have hope for making it all the way through. I keep through. going back to, I know, I feel like I know that one of those two will survive. I'm pretty sure. On whether they team up or whether they're in opposition. Unless Martin is just writing the most depressing possible story. Well, that's where we'll be getting, we'll be, we'll be getting into that later. Uh, Keith okay. T said, although Martin says it wasn't his intention, I do think an argument can be made for the White Walkers being allegorical to the real world. This is something we've been talking about the last few weeks. Right. The weapons of mass destruction and minefield allegories don't make much sense to me, and neither does Saddam Hussein, but I've always thought the White Walkers, somewhat ironically, are allegorical of global warming or climate change. The <laughs> slowly creeping force that will make the world uninhabitable, the denial of its existence by much of the people in power and aristocracy, the parallel of people around the world of a song of ice and fire and reality, busily uh, busying themselves with frivolous matters like the Iron Island instead of coming together and fighting the real threat to everyone's lives. Uh, I know it's an allegory I've always followed and has made me wonder if the White Walkers will win in the wind and blindside everyone while they're busy with politics in order to show the audience the dangers of climate change. 
I don't think that's going to convince anyone that's hoarding up incandescent light bulbs, but... Sure. And to to the extent that Martin says he doesn't like allegory and none of his works are allegorical... But he's also said the opposite at sure. points. Like, I, I, don't, I like it. Yeah, it, it's not a bad idea. And Perfectly valid way to interpret the work. Sure. Uh, Kyle Detro says, Quick note about Stannis' fleet since it came up in the last podcast. I simply assumed that when the Swords abandoned Stannis after he burned Shireen, they took the ships back to Essos. This happened in the same episode where John returned to Castle Black with the Wildlings, and therefore the Sheet sh- fleet should have already been back for the Sellswords to use. I forgot he rented, not owned. Uh, from the from the Iron Bank? Yeah, well, I mean, whatever. he paid for the Sellswords right, and the, the Pirates. from the Iron Bank, yeah. Yeah, those aren't his ships, so they were on loan. Yeah, what's the point, though? I mean, oh, where, just, where's we, he going we thought, with this? We said in the last podcast that there was the matter of, Stan, of Stannis ships that John bartered oh, for okay. to go to Hardhome and bring those back. We know he returned. So they're just not a factor anymore. They're just, yeah, yeah. they're probably back in Bravos. Okay. Uh, Mark from Philly says, at this point, it's becoming clear where we are headed in the end game of the show. Danny conquers the Iron Throne. <laughs> it becomes clear. Okay. <laughs> what? It, it all becomes, it's all clear now? Everything just is falling into place here? And when it's always sunny in Philly, you can see things very clearly. Danny conquers the Iron Throne and has women rule each of the seven kingdoms. I don't have all the pieces quite quig- quiggered, fout, fight, fit. I don't have all the pieces figured out quite yet, uh, but here are the most important and prominent potential players. We have Asha in the Iron Islands. Wait, who's Yara? Asha? Sorry, okay, that's good. Asha in the book, Yara in the show. Yep. Sands in the north, Marjorie in the reach, Obara and the rest of the Sand Snakes in Dorne, Brienne in the east, Cersei in the west. I realize this doesn't quite cover all the kingdoms, Jesus. but it's clear that Danny is willing to play nice with women, especially those who had difficult fathers. Is this the ultimate end game for the series? Brad in comes in with an assist. Said, "Did you guys find it interesting that on Father's Day, all the men came off as clueless and essentially <laughs> handed over the keys to all the women?" Yeah, pretty much. Take uh, that, patri- patriarchy. Yes. I can't even pronounce it correctly. So I don't. I- I'm like. <laughs> You know how there's like I, I started casting my glance askew when we got the Brienne in the east and Cersei yeah. in the west, but everything else looked pretty right on. Right, I could see the others. Uh, Cersei, I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure is dead within the season. Yeah, I actually think she's going to die next episode. Yeah, um, I don't know why Bold prediction, Jim. I don't know why Danny would have any real say in giving Brienne anything. I mean, especially if Brienne's Brynn pledged Why this. does Brienne doesn't want to be a... She's uh, pledged her life to Sansa. I mean, yeah, like, she doesn't unless want... Sansa sends her to be the the queen of this land, or, you know, the head of, the, of this kingdom, I don't think she's going to want to do it. You know what? I was about to say Brienne doesn't want to be the warden of wherever, but then again, Ned didn't want to be the hand of the king, but sure. his duty... Yeah. Uh, she and might loyalty. command her. Yeah, yeah. like I, I could see if she if she asked, especially if Sansa put her up to it, she'd be yeah. a good choice, though. I just don't see Cersei making it through this season, even. No, but uh, honestly, uh, that would be an interesting plot twist, that the end shape of the Game of Thrones is it's you've got a full-on matriarchy. Yeah. Um, I mean, or at I least d- women having a much prominent, more prominent place in politics than they did to start with. Right. And who knows if it'll turn out better or the same. Uh, that's kind of a long-term question that the show is not going to deal with. Yep. But, uh, yeah, it would certainly be a change in the kingdoms. Got to get the Constitution, Danny. Got to get set some up yeah. to outlive you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nat said, the entire time watching John luck out and avoid getting kebabbed, all I could think of was the conversation John had with Mel earlier. 
about how they didn't know the will of the Lord of the light, what he can or can't do, and what purpose he has for bringing John back to life. Could it be that the Lord of Light has taken some sort of part in helping John avoid death on the battlefield, or was it really just dumb luck? I have n- a neutral response to this because right. it would be entirely consistent with the world to shield John from the horrors of war with an active divine presence, but also dumb luck. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what the Lord of Light's powers are. Sure, like can he? Can he? divert arrows in mid-flight can he uh cause a guy on a horse to notice another guy on a horse who's going to take john's head off his primary special power we haven't seen is essentially a gungan force shield it just you <laughs> right know. this is just blue glow yeah <laughs> around him uh but that's that was a very common that was the first one to suggest it but that was a very common response too. that like the- why not lord of the light why not he why right if, if, if to the extent that it's a plot plot problem which i don't think it is yeah again if you got one you got an arrow per square meter that's a lot of space to dance between it is and thousands of men dance between them yep john was one of them yep i mean why is davos so fucking lucky right. why is Tormund so fucking lucky yeah. why is fucking Karstark so lucky yeah uh walt from connecticut says good episode but so much for the fucking grand northern conspiracy quote unquote even with ramsey killing rickon and ordering his archers to fire into his own men no one and yeah. his army switched sides this was because I felt like there was a room for another reversal where, like, right. a significant force turns against Ramsey and you think it's going to go your way, but then Ramsey fi- somehow manages to tactically outmaneuver it and things are looking grim, mm-hmm. and then you bring in the cavalry. This was just one fuck up and tripping out the door on your own dick after another by the forces of good. I felt like we could have at least got one kilt raising scene. I mean, (laughs) like, I was really braced for it. Yeah. It never happened. Yeah. Little let down. What's all those Northern England and Scottish accents if you're not going to be able to (laughs) wag some kilts in the air? Right. But but you're absolutely right. It was, we were kind of expecting the Umbers to switch sides when they charged. Well, and there's been so much talk in, especially the books, but even the show, the North remembers the North. The North don't remember shit. Yeah. The The North North remembers, but they don't care. Six-week-old crack baby. The North doesn't (laughs) got anything. Right. The North needs a fucking uh, personal digital assistant so it can keep track of what it knows and doesn't know. Yeah, <sighs> that was a little disappointing. Uh, uh, but also good. Like I would have been like, "Yep, that happened." Like we expected it to when it mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. It, uh, so I'm I'm not totally bummed that it didn't happen the way we thought it was. Catlin T said, "I want to bring attention to a little artistic parallel I noticed, and John and I were both." Gasping for breath once he clawed his wet from the ground. This caught my attention because of a scene with Danny earlier in season three, and she helpfully overlaid the images. You've got at the end of, when when Danny first frees her first city. There's a sh- crane shot of her standing in the middle of this teeming crowd, pressing amongst her and stretching their arms out, and then it's almost shot for shot remake of John wriggling free out of the press of people and looking up into the sky. It's like. Almost intentionally the same shot. Very right. different what's happening on the field, but but the the actual look of it is 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 right on. Um, she continues, I think these images reflect each other on purpose to show that Danny and John are opposites. Fire and ice. John fights for everyone else in the world, and Danny fights for herself and her birthright. They both defended a group that was historically mistreated and gained a lot of respect from it, but they have led their people into battles for very different reasons. 
They are two sides of a same the same coin. Personally, I've never understood the people that think John and Danny will get together, and I think this sort of parallel imagery might be telling us that they will actually be at odds. Hmm. Curious to know what you think. I think those are the two characters that are most closely linked. Um, and again, the, Song of Ice and Fire, not right. for nothing. Um, and, and like I said at the beginning of this episode, they're this episode is about those two characters yes. as much as it's about anything. So, uh, I, man, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I agree with the, the categorization of Danny here as fighting for herself. I know she's doing it partially for that, but she's also doing her damnedest to free these slaves. But was that not brought about by her own experience? Like this is kind of freeing oh, herself by proxy as well. Right, uh, absolutely. And you know she's doing this so she can get an army to go to Westeros and where, where, where kill John, everyone. everything in his personal history says that he should not trust the wildlings and he should fight them, right? And do the good, right? So I do. I mean, I'm probably closer to John and Danny teaming up than John and Danny have to defeat each other. But I do think that everything Caitlin says here is sound. Yeah, I mean, aside from that, just small quibble. Like, I think there's more to Danny than that. I just, I, I do mostly agree with her. Yeah, yeah. but on the, on the other hand, the visual imagery, you could just you, there, there's definitely a connection between them if you're just going by this this visual storytelling. Yeah, whether it's in opposition or in conjunction remains to be seen. Mike S. Holy shit! Succinctly in one email, summed up about a hundred that I got. Why didn't Z- Rickon zigzag? I Someone know. his age with his upbringing think could piece together this would be a wise strategy, especially after the first arrow landed. Honestly, not since Prometheus have I rolled my eyes so hard. When the ship's rolling at you, run to the yes. fucking side, yes. you this dumb miles shit. long ship rolling, <laughs> right. you know. But it's only a couple. Yeah, fuck, fuck. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. Honestly, I- as an archer myself, this is such horseshit. I don't care if he's running yeah. a straight line. I that's such a one in a million shot on a it's moving a tough target. Shot. Isn't Olympic Ramsey, archers like- can't fucking are not that accurate against stationary targets with modern compound really? bows with sights and shit. Hmm. Fuck, it's so hard. Hard. So, because he was a long ways away. He was, yeah. He let him run for a good long while. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I chalk it up as Rickon's kind of stupid, and Rickon's not thinking. He's just happy to be running away. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm i not going to give him too much shit, but yes, if it were me, zigzag immediately. Yeah. Like, run 30 feet out and right. start zigzagging. Right. Yeah, start doing some Sam Fisher shit. I'm going to roll on the yeah, ground. I'm going to uh-huh. be jumping, doing splits, uh-huh. and my, yeah. flinging my arms Wagging around. Kill every once in a while. Yeah. I, Flipping birds. <laughs> like Running backwards, honestly, watching for the arrows. Uh, the other number one email I got, uh, again, I'll let uh, Mike get the, the credit and glory here. Where is Ghost? Was He, in, he was yeah. invited to the Battle of Castle Black. However, he was noticeably absent from this one. I got nothing. Like other than than the inability to CGI a wolf, that, like <laughs> all, the giant got all the thing, or or I the guess inability to CGI a wolf. You saw what happened on the screen, right? Well, what I'm saying is like it's one more thing. Like you've already got a giant that you're having to composite a fully right. CGI wolf. They didn't just have the money for it. I, I mean, obviously they could. I think they could have shown a scene or two of of Ghost getting in on the action. If I need to get meta, I guess John. 
boy, having a dire wolf on the battlefield is just a really good because I'm trying it's, to think yeah. like is is John yeah. just like I can't lose ghosts no matter what happens. There's only so many dire wolves left in the world, and like these are important to my family, and like I'm superstitious yes. about it. But geez. but his family's fucking dead. Like yeah. ghost is not going to continue your family legacy, man. Ghost is worth a hundred men on the battlefield. I would think. your sister's going to die. You're going to die. Rickon's dead. Like yeah. there are no more Starks that you know of. Yeah. Why not bring Ghost into the battle and have a better chance? Uh, I think Ghost is in the woods shitting his brains out. <laughs> I think he just missed the battle. He had what uh, what the Davos was having. Yep. Yeah, uh, there's not a really good in-universe explanation for this. There isn't. But it's not the first time that dire wolves have gone missing when it's convenient to have them, just because it's expensive to render shit. I guess. It's expensive to composite things. Um, odd, odd choice though. Mm-hmm. Connor B says, "Was this episode predictable? Yes. Should that matter? No. I say this because the wonderful execution of Miguel Sapochnik under some other director's hand. This could have felt overdone and kind of cheesy. It's not about <clears throat> Mark Millard. It's not about that little finger arrived to save the day. It's how hopeless you felt right before that makes a difference." The director's job is to tell a story and make an audience feel emotion. This was one hell of a story, and I was on the edge of my seat the entire back half of the episode. Beautiful visuals, epic choreography, brutal violence, and Greyjoy-sized boatloads of emotion. Yeah. It really is the accumulation uh, or culmination of what we should be asking for out of Game of Thrones. Yeah, absolutely. And they can't do it every week. No. Um, they can do it. They can come close to it once a season. And I would like to see, I guess... The reason I demerit is not because of the tactic blunders, not just because it was a bit, a little tad predictable. Right. Um, yeah. It would be nice if they could have something where it was, you know, kind of a sh- something, a shocking new development, especially since we're beyond the books at this point. It'd be nice for me as a book reader. But then yeah. again, this was a hell of an episode. And as Connor suggests, executed at an extraordinarily high level. I've never seen anything like this on television. No. Like Band it's... of Brothers approaches. Right. But, you know. But it's much easier, right? It's you don't much have e- these yeah. giants on yep. the field, and you yep. don't have all of this. You know, you got to get so many outfits together for all these people, like sure. the costuming department alone. Sure. Yeah. Ah, working overtime. Yep. Yeah, I, I I, think that's the thing. You you hit it. You know, Hard Home wasn't quite as predictable either. Like, Hard Home was genuinely surprising. Yeah, like, you know, the... It, sh- uh, Dragon Steel, Shattering White Walkers. Like I remember, super surprised. Yeah, and then at the end, him like resurrecting all the dead, and how creepy that was. And even and... them just showing up. Yeah, I mean the fact that that even happened. Yeah. Uh, so it does have that up on it, but like I said, I don't think it quite had the the idea that John could maybe die again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it didn't have some things that this battle had that I, th- I feel to me, you know, push this over the top. Right. Uh, so here's the uh, Alan with the Dark Sansa theory, which I got a pro- quite a bit uh, he, uh, emails. He was the first one. Uh, my analysis is the Sansa played everyone. Yeah, Sansa knew that there was no way John would outsmart Ramsay. She knows Ramsay better than anyone else and is aware that he will be able to get inside John's head and make him abandon his plans, which is exactly how the battle went down. Sansa mm-hmm. knew this would happen, just like she knew their little brother would not survive the battle and held the Knights of Vale in reserve until the time was right to move in and take out Ramsay. She essentially used John's army as bait. Ramsay wasn't expecting this move, especially since John didn't even know it was going to happen. She played both armies, and in the end, she won, not one of the bastards. Uh, a couple other people send in supporting evidence, the fact that she was riding with 
Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's standing beside him, implying that maybe they'd met up before the bat. Like, uh, it wasn't just a, like Littlefinger rode up out of nowhere. Uh, there was another piece here too. I can't remember, but but I, right. what do you think of like essentially? I want I want to say evil Sansa, but dark, cynical Sansa using her half brother as uh, a a pawn. Uh, I don't know. I I didn't feel like that was it. I felt like she was a ways away from the battlefield. Did we um, did we talk about whether we think there's going to be a reckoning next episode? Because if if John doesn't oh, go yeah, up to Sansa and be like, "What the fuck?" Right. At yeah. some point, I'm going to be disappointed personally. Yeah, I mean, to me, I I don't know. I didn't get that. I thought she was riding with Littlefinger because she was kind of away from the battlefield, so as not mm. to get killed as you know a little girl in a battle. Yeah. Um, and then like when Littlefinger shows up, she's like, "Oh, here's Littlefinger. Let me ride up there with him." Sure. But I don't know. Maybe I suppose there's room for it. And yes, they do have to talk about it next episode. Okay, good. Or right. or next time we see them on screen, which may not even be next. That's episode. true. I don't they, know. They might have closed the door in the north, right? For uh, this season, there's a lot to deal with, and there's nothing in King's Landing. Oh, I would man. like to see Dorne revisited. Know what the fuck's going on there? Yep. And honestly, got to and see, more Danny. I got to see Danny wiping yeah. her feet on the welcome mat as Marine as she sets forth onto her Westerosi adventure. Right. But it does feel like they're going to get back to Davos real quick. Because it's like Davos and Melisandre da, have a they, conversation. A, yeah, you're right. There's unfinished business there, so, especially with maybe. John and, and John and Santa too. So right. I'm I'm back on that uh, board. Can uh, they do it all? It's going to be an extra long episode. It just feels like there's so much to do. Seventy. I I several said seventy nine minutes. I thought it was sixty nine. Seventy nine. That's what I thought he said in his review. Holy shit. Even if it's just 69, that's a good 15 minutes longer than the average episode this year. Yeah. Where does so Silicon Valley fit in? if it's 79, in? then, well, you know, you, when you uh, play the Sunday night's ratings game, you either you either dominate or you get fucking moved to the other time slot. Yep. Uh, Ryan Gray has a con- is a good representative of the other side of the fan base that didn't quite enjoy this episode. Okay. I'll spare you my overly long tirade, but it's time to admit that Game of Thrones has reached its post-Martin post-mortem. The cinematography of this episode admittedly was awesome. It was spectacle, and I loved watching it. Yep. But in the end, it was plain old cliche. Without Martin's story to guide them, the, DD, the double Ds are writing boilerplate plots. What makes the story stand apart from its peers is that its plots are unexpected, true to life, and true to character. Without Martin's guidance, we have a hodgepodge of the standard and predictable mixes with the embarrassingly inexplicable. That's what leave us, leaves us with Littlefinger arriving within minutes of John's defeat and Arya magically healing, uh, magically healing gut wound. So, the on the only thing I can say contra is that if we assume that Martin is going to eventually pull out of the nosedive that is the grim, depressing spectacle that is Game of Thrones, I want to talk about that assumption. You got to yeah. start having predictable, tropey things happen. You do. Like, everything ends the same. The hero wins. If you continue to subvert this tropes and expectations, you are just going to have the good guys lose. Absolutely. And that's a a valid story to tell. It is. Um, And they lean heavily on that, I think, in these scenes, right? I mean, you think about the Red Wedding. You think about all the heroes who have died time and time again in this show, and you think John's just going to be the next in a long line, defeated by fucking Ramsay again. Yeah. Like, I think this show is doing a great job of leaning into the history that it's set up in its own universe. 
Doug from Queens says, That cannonball opener was cool, and it gets me pondering, what could be planned to use against the dragons? If 1-1 can be vulnerable, could the dragons be with some combination of poison, wildfire, or weirwood arrows? I have no, no, I have no idea what the known weaknesses of dragons are, because it does seem like... Uh, they just fucking kicked Westerosi ass when they came across. When when Aegon and his two sisters and their three big dragons came, there was no defense hmm. against them. The only defense was to go Afghanistan and hide up in the mountains, which is how and disperse, which is how Dorne survived. Okay, um, fighting a ceaseless guerrilla war is not what I would call victory. So I there's no, to my knowledge. Uh, weaknesses of a dragon. And, of course, if I knew one, I wouldn't tell you. So <laughs> I'm an unreliable yeah. narrator. Read the damn books if you want to, <laughs> if you want, if you don't believe me. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, that's, that's, a good, that's a good question. Is there going to be – because, you know, that's the thing. If Danny's dragons are just a magical cure, that's not super interesting. The White Walkers arrive. They get melted like so many popsicles. Right. Done, done deal. Danny, Danny and John kiss. They marry, they have kids, flower petals to send. Like, uh-huh. I don't know that that's the story we're getting either. Sure. Uh, but good questions. Uh, Stephen Wise said, I'm looking for your thoughts about Daenerys and her newfound ability to control her dragons. This has seemingly come out of nowhere. She's able to summon Drogon, somehow communicate with him what she wants him to do, and also bring along her other two dragons for fun. Am I overthinking this? I was just hoping we could get some kind of explanation in the plot, but nothing so far. Man, you and me both. I assumed that there was going to be some book knowledge that Tyrion would brought, perhaps some kind of magic device to control dragons. There was many things that I was yeah. looking forward to, how Danny would master her dragons, just developing some kind of rapport, empathetic, telepathic rapport was not on high on my list. Right, and there are clearly like commands that she shouts to her dragons. Yeah, like, which they've they've the, you know Dracarys is something she started working on them when they were the size of chickens in season two. So she can tell them to breathe fire. Right, but how does uh, she tell them to breathe fire on this thing in particular? She's grabbing two of those horns. Maybe she can pull those. The like I yeah yeah I I don't know that I actually like wanted a Danny and Drogon roadshow like where maybe she. You know, learns a thing or two on their flight back from the Dothraki village. And but... her, her in-flight Drogon movie was uh, How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> oh Jesus! So yeah, <laughs> Very, really fortuitous. She played Skyrim. She watched How to Train sure, Your Dragon, and sure. boom, she's good. She got a couple fuss Rodos, and <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, again, this is magic, and I don't need an explanation for everything, but. I kind of would was really I'm a little bummed out myself that I don't really understand how this is happening. Yeah, I wonder if it's shortcuts that the show is taking and if the books are going to get more into it or yeah. If it's just going to be this way, this this imp, like you said empathic yeah you know, sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh Donnie said you've mentioned or asked what the Starks will owe Littlefinger for riding to the aid of their battle in Winterfell. My guess is that badass Sansa is going to put Littlefinger's balls on a chopping block and tells him that him riding to her aid was absolution for him giving her over to that sadistic evil little twat Ramsay. What say you? Oh, I think Littlefinger acknowledges that. Okay. I don't, I don't think it's going to be like you need to I'm going to I'm going to threaten so he just you got again. To the top of the ladder, there's no more rungs of chaos. Well, I think he'll create some more rungs. Okay. He'll build those rungs a little higher. I've never but for seen now... It, I've never seen a contrite Littlefinger. So... Right. It's a new look. Not sure. It will be. It will be. 
Uh, Jason W. said, How would a trip across the narrow sea by Danny on her dragons work? Can dragons fly that far? Would they need to perch on a ship? If they could mm. fly, I'd imagine they'd be much faster than the ship, so how would they get coordinated? Would Danny have to ride one to show them where to go? Does she know where to go? <laughs> would she have to get there stealthily and wait for her fleet? That's a All lot of questions, questions, and I'm not worried about the distance because, again, it's the narrow fucking sea. Yeah. I feel like a dragon, if he can't fly 150, you know, if he can belch five minutes of fire but not have the energy to fly across a 150-mile sea, then what the fuck? Didn't they do it once before as well? Well, no, they came across on boats. Well, actually, no. They were actually in Essos when they hatched. So they did go across the sea when they went to um, Karth, I believe, or maybe it was one of the first slave cities. But they, you know, the the dragons were just like the size of dogs then, so they just kind of flew amongst the ships and landed when they needed to. Okay. And, hmm. But I feel like I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like that they can they can fly pretty long. Yeah, I was ways. talking about like wh- where do the Targaryens hail from? I don't know exactly where their lands. Uh, old like Valeria, which is kind of like um, the shattered continent that's kind of in between oh, the okay. free cities and Slavers Bay. Right. Right. So they wouldn't have to cross to get the nah. original Targaryen. Oh no, they had to fly stuff. across the narrow sea. When the the Targaryens originally yeah. ruled, yeah, the dragons attacked. Huh. Okay, so dragons can do it. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of canonical examples of like Aegon doing, you know, like flying from King's Landing to the Vale and like all. So I, yeah, I'm not I'm not okay. worried about the distance, especially on this show. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. And, you know, all the other questions, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Uh, Dominic P. said, I have a difficult time enjoying the Battle of the Bastards on account of the tactically stupid actions or believably lucky results. I know this might not be a popular opinion, but I wanted to see great things by John and his crew, and I just didn't. You guys have already pointed out a bunch of these instances in the live cast. There are many more, which I'm sure others will point out. I just think they deserve to bear more weight against the success of the episode. Can we stretch 1% bad to maybe 10% bad? <laughs> I mean, it's subjective. You can stretch sure. it, though, however the hell you want, man. And I I agree with you. I'm ready for John to p- kind of have his head a little more out of his ass. I was super let Me down too. by him as a commander in this battle. Me too. I just don't. I just think that's what they were going for, and, and they sh- nailed it. I really hope that Davos kind of reams him a new one. Like, yeah. I hope there's a scene, like, speaking of come yep. up, where he's like, what the fuck was that? What the fuck? We just, you know, I get that. We have these plans. You fucked them all up. You got many, many people killed. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's all on you. Uh, Dominic says, as much as I hate to admit it, Ramsey turned out to be a much more tactically effective commander. A larger question is starting to loom for me, and that is, do I even like Jon Snow? I mean, does Jon Snow really, and I mean really, know nothing? Even after <laughs> death, he's just dumb, pretty, and pretty lucky. Is that what I'm supposed to get from him? Yeah. That seems about right, honestly, for Jon right now. Yeah. I'm hoping he'll grow to be more. I'm hoping he'll even surpass his brother Rob, because I think Rob was a better tactician. Sure. I think Rob was more level-headed than this guy. He just got blindsided by something he couldn't have seen coming. Uh, or... Yeah, Rob, okay, it's Rob arguable, got the better of both Tywin and but... Jamie Lannister. And whatever you think about Jamie, Tywin was seemed to be a, a kind of genius level planner. Yeah. So... Yeah, he was great and I I was I was just dumbstruck when he died. Mm-hmm. Um but I and we talked about, you know, the parallels between Danny and John. I think that's the other big one is both of these kids and let's call them that because they are. Yeah. Uh these kids are naive and these kids are not uh, experienced and they're doing the best they can, but they're getting in their own way a lot of the time. 
Yep. Uh, Dan, a little bit of dry pie here, but he wanted to know whether Jon Snow reward the wildlings by giving them the Boltons, Karstarks, and other traders' land in his, his castles. I think, right. yeah, pretty much. Uh, Taylor from Ontario says, why is no one questioning the fact that John deserted a Night's Watch? I was happy to see at least Ramsay bring up the fact in Battle of the Bastards, and I know John's <laughs> own reasons for deserting are made clear. But do you think this will be a focus on John's storyline to come? I'm personally a bit upset to see that this has just been glossed over. Do you think the other northern houses would at least question his honor for doing so? I, so it hasn't been glossed over. This is literally the first person he's met since he left the Night's Watch. And that's bullshit Ramsey. because the he met Lady Mormont and Donald Glover and like all the other lords that he mentioned, and none of that never came up. And my thought was, does anybody? And they're all northern lords, and they all know yeah, they I all take they, serious okay, like okay, forcing fair. deserters. I, yeah, I just I figured that, that there was dumb. some preamble that there was like instead of showing up at the gates, they probably send a raven about. You know, hey, we're coming to pay you a visit, and this is why, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, a lot of that stuff is preamble because did you really want to see five the five minutes to five hours of debate about what is the nature of a vow to the Night's Watch and whether they believe that right. the Lady Melisandre brought him back to life? Except- and it's not that nobody's talking about this. It's that we talked about it three episodes ago. Hmm. Like, we're done talking about it. We both think well, that we- he didn't actually desert the Night's Watch. And that his vows were released when he died, and he's free to go. And you got to you got to balance the the needs for realism with the tediousness to the audience. Sure, like would I have liked to seen someone bring it up? Sure, but I did not need to see it literally come up every single time John John knocks on a castle. Right. Yeah, and I mean Ramsey does bring it up, so it's not completely dropped. It's yeah, just... the biggest asshole in the show brings up the point. So. Yeah. Uh, D said in episode seven, or maybe it was six, Varys departed Marine for Westeros via the sea. Looking at any map reveals that there's only but one way to go. Doesn't logic dictate that he would have seen the Master's Armada heading towards Marine? If so, does not sending a raven suggest something nefarious? Also, wouldn't Varys have seen Theon and his sister ships heading to Westeros since they arrived so soon after Varys left? These are fairly good questions. Is the path to wherever Varys is going, which we don't know where he's going, the same as the path that Yara? If he's and going Fiona to Westeros, follow? then it seems hard to believe that they didn't pass. And like, Unless I he's see... going to south of Westeros, and they're going from the north or wherever the hell the Iron Islands are. Like... Well, but if you look at the map, mm-hmm. um, and I know you don't have one in front of you, the way no. the land masses are aligned, that you almost, no matter where you sail from Westeros, if you're going to Slaver's Bay, you have to kind of hug the southern continent of Essos. And then also sail up the the Bay of Grief, which is where you know, sla- the, you know the Gulf of Grief and Slavers Bay, which is where all the slave cities are at. So, okay, I broadly agree with this. Now, the oceans are a big place, and ships have to, depending on which way they're sailing, have to like you know make different maneuvers to catch the wind, and and we don't even is- know where Varys is going. Yeah, at all, and so. I don't think that Varys could just dash off a raven. Like the, I, I don't feel like that ships probably just carry ravens. You know, mm-hmm. just in case. Um, but it seems like if he saw like a fleet of a hundred ships or the wise master ships or any of that stuff that he would have, if he had any control over it, say, "Hey, turn this shit around! I gotta warn people." Or we don't even know what Varys's intentions are. Maybe he doesn't want the people in Marine to survive. Maybe he... that's what I'm. That's what I think D's getting at. Like this is a little evidence that Varys might oh, not be on the up and up. I thought she was saying it was suspicious. It was. It was like kind of dumb. 
plot wise. No, okay. no, 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 no. I think because we then we I think we agreed right. that it was kind of suspicious the timing of him leaving Marine right as yeah. the ships came. That you know maybe he was like getting he out knew. of Dodge. Yeah, mm-hmm. I. It, it's it's definitely open question about whether he is on the side of angels or not. Yeah. Uh, Nate in Florida says, was it just me or did anyone else find it tough to differentiate the sides other than John Davos and Tormund with their matching clothes? <laughs> I couldn't tell which soldiers were which. And when they got in the middle of the pack, couldn't they at least give Ramsey's armies painted helmets or something? Well, I mean, that's a real, th- I mean, one of the reasons that uh, post-medieval combat was dominated by people wearing brightly colored uniforms is because this was a real fucking issue. When yeah. you get close in and people get muddy and bloody, it's really hard to distinguish friend from foe. Right, especially when lines are broken and sure. just it's like, chaos. You see the pay- like when these things clash, and that was the other thing. Like there's horsemen coming at you at a full speed. Like it was impressive. Yeah. Um. I think it was probably realistic, and that's also why you had heraldry and people with, like, you know, flayed men emblazoned under. They're trying to help you out, but you can imagine the chaos of battle, like a half-second hesitation about whether you should run someone through or not. I honestly feel like John might have actually killed one of his own guys at some point because they're... I believe it. I, I saw two guys fighting, and yeah. maybe they were wrongfully fighting each yeah. other, uh, and he comes in and he kills them both. And I'm like, uh... <laughs> Sure. John, what are you doing, man? Sure. But, you know, you just kill anything that looks threatening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the other things, like, I, you could probably distinguish by accent or, like, what kind of gear they're wearing. And I, I'm, Boy! No, I'm just saying that, like, you... I feel like we underestimate how personal and intimate medieval and earlier, like, ancient violence was. Okay. You know, like you got to see a person's face, recognize that they're a human, and yeah, a sword, which is an extension of your body, is penetrating their body. Like that is very like up close, and like things that it might be hard for you to read on a screen when they're happening might mm-hmm. not. You know, it's kind of like when you're playing uh, pickup basketball. You got ten guys on the court, but you're not wearing uniforms. You can shirts still tell. And skins, like, shirts man. and yeah, you go shirts That's what and they skins. Should That's do. what they should have done. Okay, you guys take off your armor. Yes, yes. You're going to be skins this battle. I think John would have gone for that. <laughs> You're right, Ramsey. I need a way to tell my men apart. Take your <laughs> take off your armor. Yeah, yeah, but you can have the ball first. <laughs> That'll be the trade off. Uh, you oh. can fire arrows into the crowd. <laughs> we won't. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you every advantage. Uh, I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts. Oh, sorry. Nicholas R. I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on how good it felt to have the good guys get a win for once and how if there will be a reckoning around the corner. While the criticisms of being of the show being predictable may be well-based, isn't it somewhat uncharacteristic to have John, Savos, and Davos, and Tormund survive? The few times in the past that our quote-unquote good guys have won some serious tragedy is lurking around the corner. A couple of examples include the defeat of Jamie's army that set in motion the Red Wedding, John convincing the brothers to let the wildings through the wall leads to hard home and the betrayal of John, etc. Do you think the Double Ds wanted us to think that so many beloved characters are going to die this episode and are instead going to make those deaths hit that much harder later? This is the crux of the question I've asked many, many times in the spoiler cast, which is what is Martin playing at? Right. Is Are we getting a unconventional conventional tale or are we getting a unconventional tale of woe and misery and of a right. cautionary tale of of humans and their pride and their inability to pull together during minor squabbles i honestly don't know 
Right. My no, gut it's... tells me we're going to get a conventional fairy tale ending, but the way we got there is very unconventional. That's that's my biggest question, like the predictability of it. Um when people say that Game of Thrones in this in this episode was predictable, what do they mean? Do they mean that it was predictable by Game of Thrones standards? Because yeah. up to this point, Game of Thrones has been entirely unpredictable. Sure. It has subverted all of those tropes that you think the heroes never win. Yes. Is that now the new predictable for this show? Did we were we expecting John to die and therefore when yeah. he doesn't we feel cheated? Sure. Uh are we mad because it's now turning into something that's more predictable, like like that doesn't feel like Game of Thrones because it's not constantly shitting on you? Yep. It it's a fair question, and it's one that I don't even know that I can answer for myself at this point. Yeah, I it it's endlessly fascinating Rubik's cube of a question because yeah. you just you just don't know because you're right at a certain point that the unpredictability becomes predictable because you're like, well, the good guys are look like they're going to win, they can't. Right, and, oh, this is didn't. Game of Thrones. This is Game of Thrones. We've been trained. So at some point, veering towards Hollywood tropes is almost kind of avant-garde. <laughs> In a weird way, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how to reconcile those I do feel things. like that there is room for both, where you can have the good guys win, but in a surprising against-all-odds kind of way. Sure. Whereas maybe they just telegraphed it too much. They tried to fit too much. They, they, they weirdly, this has been a fast-paced drag your feet kind of season mm-hmm. like everything's hurry 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 and excitement but you know the the amount of actual plot movement has not been all that much so maybe they could have you know been a little bit more covert in what they what we were expecting with i the feel Battle like they tried to be because maybe like you know i don't think we were supposed to know about the knights of the veil vale. Like they made a mistake showing but, but, any part and, of that letter. Yeah, and the, and Littlefinger's visit to Har- the Moles Town, like the, all that, and the, like who else could she right. be possibly writing? Or they could have done a little bit more about maybe like Littlefinger, or Sweet Robin, or maybe she's going to do an in run and go right to Lord uh, Royce. Like I felt like there's a couple cards they maybe could have played and they didn't. Okay, but. Yeah, that's what I guess when I I don't mind it being predictable and that that we're getting a happy ending, but I would like it to be unpredictable in the actual mechanics. That's my best case scenario for how Mm -hmm. this show is going to wrap up. Like, yeah, I I feel like I want to have the quote unquote good guys win and the good girls win, but I won't I don't want to be able to see it coming a mile away. Yeah. Uh, Antonia D said, I'm curious what you think of the future of the Greyjoys will be if they continue this alliance with Danny and company. It sounds great on paper. You get to be queen of the Iron Islands. You just stop your entire way of life. Uh, I just wonder how the Ironborn are going to take this. Will they just accept Yara as queen as they change everything? Dry pie, dry pie. We talked about all this. Um, I do foresee many problems with here, Antonia. And I don't think it's going to be a smooth transition. And I think you're going to have the same problem with... Uh, you know, honestly, post uh, there'd be it'd be interesting to examine post Game of Thrones, post Song of Ice and Fire. Like, how have the Unsullied integrated into society? How have the Dothraki integrated into society? How are the Iron Islander? What's their GDP? Have they are, are they yeah. are they masters of commerce now? They're like. I, it, there's there's ways you can answer that, but like it doesn't seem like it's within the scope. That, and that's weird because that's what Martin I, I I read one of something he wrote in like the late '90s about like 
you know, he loved uh, part of his work is like a, a desire for more depth from Tolkien. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, Aragorn won and everything was happy and there's peace and prosperity for 200 years. But how? How did you pacify the mountains teeming with orcs? Right. Did you exterminate them? Did you bring them into the, the king's peace? Were the people how, okay with that? What did you do like, with disease and poverty? And, like, how did you yeah. pay for the massive war you just fought? And ooh, did you settle people in the blighted lands of Sauron? And, like, all this, like those craving the details. I feel like we're going to have the same fucking problem when Song of Ice and Fire is concluded. Like, there's yeah. already these questions. And I don't think there's going to be some extended epilogue about... How the Dothraki learned the value of respecting women's bodily integrity, and <laughs> right. you know, like that. Well, he might, like, he might be able to pull like a, a seventies Neil Stevenson sort of thing, where like he could do another book uh, in the future, and you know, this will take a hundred years to come out, but whatever. Oh, another book, you said? Right. He Tell could, me more. He could spend a decade writing <laughs> one more book that kind of jumps ahead. Yeah, that, no, that would be many years, and says this is how things are shaking out. That would I would I would I yeah uh, that would be this, super satisfying. Fuck right? this prequel shit. Yeah, Dunkin' Egg or the pa- I'd like to see the future, but you know he's got to yeah. finish the first books before he can get to that. Mm-hmm. That'd be so. That would be hilarious though if he decided he writes like, a future. I'm, book? I'm not going to write Dream of Spring. I'm going to write the pro the epilogue for Dream of Spring. Oh my god! It just spoils the whole thing. I mean, right. fuck. Why not? The show's out. That's true. That's true. The story's That's out the there. That's the only way to rest control. Just ditch you, a dream of spring, George. Go right to uh, the heat of summer. What? The hot summer nights. That's going to be book eight. Hot yep. summer nights. The chapter one, fire. <laughs> like, all of this was ice. This sure. is now fire. Sure. It's hot. Um, sexy. Uh, Sarah uh. H. Just a thought. I can't get out of my head from Sunday's night's episode. Where was all the snow? At the end of the season, Sansa and Theon jumped off the walls of Winterfell and survived because the snowdrifts were so high. Oh, God, this is Melted bad. by, by John's sexy, sexy <laughs> body. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Where was the snow? Stannis' army is severely hindered by the snow, and yet watching this battle, the episode is virtually non-existent. Yeah. Granted, I ran an interview in EW where he talked about the conditions that they filmed in. This is She's talking about Kit Harrington. I get that real-life horses can't deal with that much snow, and, you know, you can't kill horses. Like, that's the reason. What, what? was that? Yeah, man, that one horse racing horses. movie with Dustin Hoffman was canceled right? because they kept killing horses. Like, hundreds and hundreds of horses. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin Hoffman just kept riding them into the ground. Yeah, he kept, yeah, yeah, he, he just, just uh, he's, he's hard on horses, man. He's right. a tough on the horses. Him and Toby McGuire. I mean, Seabiscuit, you wouldn't believe how many horses <laughs> I mean, were sea killed. How many they went through? Yeah. The five, the one made it to the end of Seabiscuit 15. Uh, you know, this is a pretty big plot hole. Like It's huge. It's an entire battle coming or not? Do right. you have 40-foot drifts outside Winterfell or don't you? And I get the Lord. Like, there was like a, uh, you know, they talked in the books how there was a fall, year of the false spring, which was when uh, Robert Baratheon's um, uh, kind of rebellion started. Right, they thought it was thawing, but then it went back into winter. I wonder if you can have a false autumn, yeah. where like winter's coming and it's teasing and it's pulling back, and now it's coming mm. again. I, I don't winter's I, edging. There's no way. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't think there's a way to square that's. It's probably filmability concerns because man, yeah. if you ever have read and, a oral history of Star Wars, doing Hoth was fucking grueling. It was oh. a bitch, a, a bitch bit. to film all that shit in. Um, and they didn't have, like, that was all CGI Tauntauns and Adat walkers. If you had real-life animals and yeah. horses and 
I, you know, I, and you can't really add that much snow after the fact yeah, to the battle. Not, like, have people aren't going to move right. Like, yeah. It would just be bad. So it sucks. It should have been there. Yeah, that's another one of those grips. And that's the thing. Like, if you are on the side of this is horseshit and this doesn't make sense and John's an idiot, I can see this stuff really bog- bothering you. Yeah, and bogging you. Um, and mm-hmm. that's the uh, last of the feedback. Uh, okay. we I'm went, sure really? any if we miss some this week, we'll have next week. And we always do a season wrap up podcast where if there's some really hot takes. Yep. Uh, we can get to those the week after the, the the show wraps up, and we still got the spoiler edition coming out Friday. Yeah, and uh, actually, you know, I don't know if people are aware of this, but we're planning on doing a rewatch right after uh, the the series finale and our, our wrap up cast. I actually so, wanted to drop that yeah, at the beginning, in the beginning, because okay. I, the, I I know for a fact not everyone listens to the very well. Then the feedback. you heard it at the beginning. Yeah, now hear it at the end and yeah. stick with us uh, after the season for a season one rewatch. I'm excited about that because I haven't, you know, watched those as a podcaster yet. I will say that we will probably take at least a week hiatus. Okay. Because I feel like there's some things that are... You've got Orange is a New Black on I just right want now, to take. So. I just want to take a week off of Game of Thrones just yeah. to get... Because it's it's really hard on me. Uh, I, it's, it's by far... I was getting... Uh, and, and yeah, I got fucking Penny Dreadful that wrapped up this with a surprise two-hour uh, finale and then six hours of Orange and New Black and this. Like, I this is the point in the season where I get a little bit down. So I think we'll take... After we get done with all the wrap-up, we'll probably have, like, a week uh, off. Or maybe not, because the other thing is now we can time shift this shit. I don't, I'm not slave right. to watching something at 9 uh, p.m. on Sunday. So And the feedback should be much less. So The feedback I, will probably be less, but I, yeah. I, but we're definitely doing at least season one during the summer to, you know, yeah. it's it's. I think it's people have asked me to like do the edits necessary to bring the old stuff back. I think it, I'd much prefer just. Right. And and the way we'll do it is a lot like we did our Game of Thrones or I'm sorry, our, our Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad retrospective where we're going to have a non-spoiler kind of just recap and review where we sort of pretend like we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. We'll, we'll shield you from any spoiler knowledge. If you want to start, you know, if, if people are discovering this in the future and wanting to go back for it, but mm-hmm. uh, we also want to have like a spoiler section at the end where we can say, now that we've had six episodes and five books, we can see that this is leading to that. And there's probably a lot of fun little details. Right. So, and like you said, you have Orange is the New Black on right now. We just released Black the first on. episode Penny of that. Dreadful is just finishing up. Pain Dreadful. And in the next month, we're going to be starting Mr. Robot when that comes back on. So. Uh, we got a hard launch, uh, or at least a month of Westworld, too, October. Right. Right. All We're going to have a lot of shows over the summer, so definitely stick with us if you've enjoyed our coverage of Game of Thrones and you're interested in any of those shows. Yep. Uh, and I guess we will see you guys on Friday for the spoiler section. Yep. Or the, the spoiler cast. Yep, see you then. See ya.